This is Naoki Yoshida. This is Fern Hall. And you are listening to Aetherite Radio. Aetherite Radio. Here we go. Hello, and welcome to Aetherite Radio, where we talk about stuff and things. I'm Zanidra, and today we have Aldino and Rook. Um, Hello. Actually, they're like Hello. this on the thing above, so. I'm <laughs> Yeah, I don't know which, which side you guys are on either, so. This way. <laughs> Mystery. Somewhere on the screen. Yeah. Um, today's episode, we're going to talk about the creation of Shadowbringers videos that have been uh, released quite recently at, at a really fast pace, too. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. But first, we have a little teeny bit of news. Uh, the Hatching Tide is going to be March 30th through April 13th. So that's really, really soon. If you're into Easter, yeah, yeah. The rewards include a rabbit suit. It's horrifying. Yeah, it's not. Okay. <laughs> it's deeply distressing. It's, it's what, like Donnie Darko? Is that That's the movie yeah. with the rabbit suit, right? It's not good. <clears throat> no. Uh, you do get a stuffed rabbit furnishing. That one's way cuter. Mm-hmm. It's like the teddy bear, but a rabbit. Yeah. And the hatching uh, tied advertisement poster. They also released a uh, new optional item. The Spriggan Mount. Actually, there's more than that, but there's the the Spriggan Mount, which is relevant to Easter. Uh, mm-hmm. It is, I'm going to say not cheap, but it is uh, your whole account. I don't remember the price on that guy. But basically, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a Spriggan holding an Easter basket, and you get to ride in the Easter basket. It's, it's cute. It's not, it's not my cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> tippy tappy feet spriggans are adorable like yeah yes i have seen a lot of lalafels using it but as a viera i do have some concerns about where my legs will go with this spriggan Just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're like drag on the ground they're yeah. just retractable <laughs> you kind of you kind of sit with like your your knees up oh, I, i've seen it on okay. an elizin and so your butt's in the basket and your knees are kind of up i got you i got you <laughs> So it kind of looks like you're falling into the basket. Mm. Uh, the other two things that they've added were the uh, heel toe and gabu do emotes, uh, which are dances, two different mm. new dances. Um, I'm not sure if they have videos on the actual mug station, but I know people have put up videos. So if you want to know what that looks like, just Google it. Again, that's mm-hmm. heel toe, heel toe, heel toe, and gabu do. I th- I hope that's it. <laughs> Yeah. I figured it's like Doobie Doo, Gooby Doo, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. The Gooby Doo is better, I feel like, than the heel toe. Um, they're both kind of fun, goofy, dancey modes you can use mm-hmm. to uh, taunt your friends <laughs> and celebrate important things in games. So, you mm-hmm. know, I'll always take more of those. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, seven bucks each on those. And then you can also buy the previous Hatching Tide items if you missed them the year before. I don't remember what they are. I eggs. have no idea. Yeah, eggs. Yeah, egg things. No, there was an egg. Wasn't there an egg furnishing item last year? Maybe a lamp. That was I like a big that, pile yeah. of eggs, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what all the other ones. Oh, there was an outfit. There was a really cute outfit last year. Oh, that's that's true. what it the, was. The like, spriggin' tunic mm-hmm. thing with the hood that has the ears on it. Yes, mm-hmm. it's very that's adorable. Cute. If you're into, like, Kryle's cat ear fashion, it's kind of the spriggin' <laughs> equivalent. But the hood's um, not. It's down. The hood's not up, it's down. And you can't toggle it, unfortunately, I don't think. Mm. No. Big, unfortunately. 
I would probably <laughs> wear that more if it was like, you know, waking Yeah. You can't always wear the spriggan hood though. Like that's a different thing that you could get. That's true. You could pair them up. You get that glamour so right. Get mm -hmm. that like spriggan theme going. Yeah. So that you can never have to dress up in that rabbit costume. Yeah, please <laughs> no. <laughs> it's very I just deep. don't want to see it. There's, there's going to be a lot of people in weird colored rabbit costumes. You know this. I yeah. don't know what it is. It's something about its little dead face yeah. that just it really, really gets me. It just looks so dead inside. It's just staring <laughs> right into you. It's really intense. Not like good. <laughs> and that's it for the news. Thank goodness, because we don't want to think about that rabbit in a moa. Put that where Ruby's feet go. Ugh. Oh, in God. See, I had to do it. Anything more in that category, <laughs> but here we are. Ruby feet and the Easter bunny suit. It's <laughs> <laughs> the worst uh, children's story ever. Ruby feet and the Easter oh, bunny no. suit. These are a few of my least favorite things. <laughs> I can't continue. Let's talk about something yeah. way better. Yeah. Let's talk about something yeah. actually wonderful <laughs> good. that has happened recently. Something so, good. Yeah, there's what three or four, four, four or five of these videos out now, right? At least four. And uh, we're going to try and get through as many as we can today. Probably two to three of them. Mm -hmm. uh, the first They're one. They're so good. Yeah. yeah. They really are awesome. Little, little tidbits. If you're interested in the backstory of the game itself, not the, not the main story, but the backstory, uh, yeah, how they put it together, how they, they come up with the ideas that they, they weave into these beautiful creations for us, uh, then check them out. But if you don't have the time to check them out and you'd rather listen to a podcast, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> They're really not that long either. They're like... Nine to 15 minutes each, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and each one of the episodes so far has been tackling different issues uh, or, you know, um, topics within the creation of Shadowbringers, but also kind of spanning to the game at large. Uh, it's so cool that they've put these in and they've started creating them. I don't think anybody really expected it. And no. then suddenly we had a, a ton of them coming out like every week, every other week. So do you think uh, they were implemented as sort of like a patch lull type deal? It's like, well... I don't have anything to do in the game, but I still want to do game stuff. I'll watch this game video. I don't know. Could be, but I mean, we did just get we did yeah. just get a ton of stuff in the game, mm -hmm. and they've been coming out. So, yeah, it's a cool little bonus thing. Maybe think about that next time, Yoshi P. Save them for later. <laughs> I guess it's because, uh, you know, after Shadowbringers, everyone was like, how did you do this? This is so good. And, you know, we just kept giving them the feedback, like, yeah, we want to hear more about it. We want to hear more about it. And, Look at what they did. Holy crap. Yeah. This is a community where the devs listen. So. Yeah. Hooray for us. Uh, the first one's called Telling a Tale. Yoshi P, our Lord and Savior, uh, <laughs> is our first one to pop into this video. He uh, comments that standalone releases that Screenix usually does try and put a philosophical message in there that they want to deliver to the players. But with expansions and patches, it's it's different. It's uh, it's more story related. Um, mm -hmm. They want to progress the story and they want to do it in ways that are um, enjoyable, but also make sense to the players. Um, they showed some really cool storyboards throughout this video. Yeah. They started uh, this section with this a storyboard of uh, Tesseline transforming with her terrible light also crying. Very bad. Um, but yeah, I I don't know why it never occurred to me that they would storyboard this stuff out, but it was really cool right. to see the storyboards. 
Well, yeah, especially too, because like in an MMO, right, there's always this balance between what we can do with the actual systems in the game that like manage this massive multiplayer experience and what we can do sort of theatrically and in our cutscenes and like how we utilize that engine and then create dramatic moments in it, right? And so it's so cool. Like this has been one of my favorite things about all these videos, seeing like the artwork and the people more so than just Yoshida-san, who we get to you know see a lot of mm -hmm. times, but to actually see the developers talking about, this is like why I did this. And oh yeah, I made this whole scene and it was really mm -hmm. intense. And we'd never done this thing where somebody was like bleeding <laughs> wax out of their eyeballs yeah. before, but we decided <sighs> to do it because we felt like it would set the stakes and you know create this scene and this lead in into Shadowbringers that would really um, impact players. And that's so fun to see because I mean, obviously we get to experience emotionally that component, but there are definitely times where seeing some of the process makes you go, oh my gosh, I really appreciate this even more. Because mm -hmm. yeah. they, they do sit there and they think about how they want the player to feel and mm -hmm. have to try and figure out what they can, what basically they can do to us to make us feel that way. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. pre-production in video games is something that no one ever gets to see. You know, like you don't, <laughs> Like maybe afterwards you'll see, okay, here's some concept, that's cool. But you never see like the storyboards or the really janky, like halfway animated things just to show people like, hey, is this good? And yeah. I love when they show behind the scenes because all that stuff is constant. It looks yeah. weird before it's done. There's so much from like the artistic to the technical side mm -hmm. that has to all come together. And I really liked the fact that, um, you know, Yoshida starts out talking about this idea, especially with Final Fantasy as a franchise, because so many of the games do have these like philosophical, sometimes to the point that they get real abstract, you know, yeah. they have these philosophical narratives. And that's always kind of been a trademark of, I think, JRPGs in particular, yeah, that there sure. is some bigger thing going on. And of course, all narratives have multiple layers and metaphors and, you know, things they're trying to communicate. But I think especially with JRPGs, there is this ambiguity in their story sometimes that's so beautiful. And this interpretation or philosophy that a creator might be wanting to put forward. But having that, like, balance with X-Packs and patches and all these things where he's talking about how the storytelling of an MMO is different. It's so interesting to see how that journey over time, I mean going from our first X-Pac, Heavensward, to now Shadowbringers, has conveyed different messages with all the different people on the teams, with, you know, all the different themes in the game itself, but then also just dealing with the day-to-day -day narrative that has to be sent out to everyone. It's, it's interesting to, like, take apart mm -hmm. and think about. Uh, rather than focusing in on that philosophical message we uh, mentioned, Yoshipi just basically walked into the room and was like, guys... We're just going to like give them 80% of everything related to the Heidelin slash Zodiac storyline. Go. And that's <laughs> that's where it started. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's Shadowbringers in a nutshell. Yeah. Just opening expansion. Just tell them, you know, this is how much we have. Give them this much. Go. Yeah. And you that's can kind of tell. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that's laid out. But now I'm like, what's the last? You know, yeah. what is yeah. this last bit? We know that we have some stuff, but it did give, I think, an interesting metric for how much more we can expect in this right. arc. Yes. Mm -hmm. Although I I can't help but wonder if that percent is, is accurate, because we have gotten a lot already, 
but you know there's still probably a fair amount left so i'm like oh yeah what's yeah, going on yeah. yoshi p is this a lie is this the truth i have to know <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna bother me well, you know all percentages are made up yes who knows absolutely. if it's actually <laughs> uh that's probably absolutely the case um he then goes on to introduce himself, even though we already know who that guy is. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Natsuko Ishikawa uh, comes on. She uh, introduced as the main scenario writer. Uh, I think Our if, Lord and Savior. Yes. I think yes. if anybody has, has been paying attention to the news at all, you also know who Natsuko Ishikawa is. Um, she w- was in charge of uh, this Shadowbringers MSQ, overseeing writing parts of it, uh, and also the dark job quest that so many people love. Even though everyone expected this edgy thing and she just managed to make it, I don't know, like this, this thing you didn't expect where, where sure. the Dark Knight is basically like, no, screw all you guys. I'm going to do my own thing. <laughs> Sorry, spoilers for anybody who hasn't gone through it, but it's, it's a very good. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, it's a very good storyline. And if, even if you're not interested in Dark Knight, maybe level it. It's not that bad anymore. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Didn't she also have a hand in the Azim step? Am I? I think so. Am I yeah. crazy? I think she did. I don't remember, is, but I'm not surprised that she has been so acknowledged in the company <laughs> because when I think back on Stormblood in particular, it seems like most of the things that were my favorite, she had a hand in. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it is really awesome to see a female writer, especially like, not to say anything about like Japanese companies or things, but like. To see her so in the forefront and really being given like so much credit is is really wonderful because I think we're starting to see, especially as more gaming companies that are based in Japan open up and share about their developers and their writers and their process. Um, it's really great to see how people are involved on all different levels and especially to see her getting recognized, I think, just for the beautiful work she does with her writing. It's, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. She does yeah. such a good job and it's always so heartfelt. Right. You always love to see someone who made something that that everyone loved get you know promoted or or get more responsibility because yeah. yeah okay you saw that we like and yeah yes yeah, it's, it's good it's great again you it gave them this they're paying attention to what exactly. they like yeah, yeah it's good yeah. for the person who's working and it's good for us too it's a win-win like yeah, yeah it's great uh, she mentions in patch 5.1, she mostly just did a review of the team's work, didn't uh, write anything, but she did write the scene where Alice flicks the Exarch in the forehead. So if you enjoyed that See? scene, she did that. <laughs> she <the> good stuff. <laughs> uh, her role includes uh, attending recording sessions. Big jealous there for me. I think that would mm-hmm. be so fun to sit on. Uh, because she she is able to give direction and instruction as the main story writer that other people mm-hmm. just don't have insight to uh, at that point. Uh, she can talk about the character spacing, at, like how far apart they are, the actions they're going to do, while there really aren't any visuals <laughs> for the people <laughs> doing the uh, voices to work with. Uh, she yeah. can correct for character's tone of voice if, if the, the voice actor delivers a line and she's like, oh, no, 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 no. You need to be way more sad than that. Uh, there's that correction there. Um, and she also can tell them what emotions they want evoked with their words. So if, this even was... if, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I, I was, you go I was ahead. I going to say, even, even if the, the tone of voice is, is 
sort of fitting for the situation, they may not still be hitting what she wants them to portray to us to make us mm-hmm. feel a certain way. Again, things that they have to do to make us feel a way. Right. Yeah, I was so surprised by this. I honestly didn't know that she would be so directly involved in the the voice acting and the recording. It makes absolute sense, uh-huh. right? But a lot of times, I mean, from what I've at least seen, you know, you have yeah. somebody who is like specifically the voice director or who will like go in and will direct these kinds of things and hire or, you know, usually do the auditions and stuff for all of the yeah. different voice actors. The fact that they had her working on both really does make sense from like a cohesion standpoint and especially when yeah you might not have the fully animated scenes and things but you're trying to explain but i think you can definitely see that detail come through the fact that she was able to weigh in and say like this is what's going on and you know this is how we're going to do it um it makes more sense to have i think the main writer in there than (laughs) than a lot of other ways or methods that other companies might do yeah and it's it's pretty i mean it's rare to me as well you know most of the time the writer has nothing to do with that part of the production. You know, they just kind of supply the script and then it's off to the races. Mm-hmm. But you can really tell when a game does like something like this, where they have the writers listen in or they have more complete like pre-production stuff like animatics and storyboards for the voice actors to see. Cause it's completely so much better. Like it's, it's, you can feel it. Um, you like if you look at two different uh, games, you can kind of see which one were kind of phoned in and which ones weren't. Oh, it's great! I mean, you can, you can, you yeah. can. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, worst thing ever is when like a game is really good and the writing is really good, but the acting and the voice acting yeah. is terrible, or <laughs> you don't even have somebody overseeing it and directing it who makes sure that the voice actors pronounce things in the same way yes. or in a way that's coherent, you know, especially yeah, so in 2.0, fam- <laughs> 2.0 English. Well, uh, yeah, there's I mean, like... <laughs> There was no time at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was no time. And I think they didn't really realize even at that point in the game, what 14 would eventually be. Yes. You know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> let's throw this out there and hope for the best. Oh wait, we did well, we get to live. Yeah, it's like, let's reboot it. Let's just try and get this out the door. And I mean, it has taken off with so many audiences around the world. And it's doing something unique where this is an MMO that is a continuous story, much closer to a single player game, which is not the trend for most other MMOs. Although we're starting to see them sort of pick that up and try to run with it as um, I think the single player and MMO bases are kind of coming together. Um, It is pretty amazing that at this point, I mean, as we go through these videos and things, we'll see everybody from people who are literally just in charge of lore, which is coming up to, you know, this detail with the voice acting. It really does bring the whole story together. It makes me wonder at what stage uh, the other countries' voice actors get to start recording. Like, right. is, uh, is yeah. that a, a last stage of the game thing? So that from... maybe they have the visuals? Because I don't think... Uh, Ishikawa-san is going to hop from country to country and be there with a translator and being like, no, 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 no. That's not how you say that. Right, exactly. Uh, I've, in my experience, it's usually the very last thing. And they usually have the full scene, like, all the way through with sound. They have, yeah, Yeah. they have the, the benefit of at least having an idea of the tone of the original Japanese cast and all yeah. of the visuals, very likely. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. usually. Because I think that the the voice acting, at least in English, because I've only all watched in English, mm-hmm. I haven't looked at it in French or German or anything else, but uh, I think that that voice acting has improved as well over time. So Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, it just kind of made me wonder, how do they do that? Right. I mean, all of this stuff is so fascinating when you get into production of video games. It's insane. Like, I, <laughs> at the beginning of the video when Yoshi P is like, I'm director and producer. Ha ha. He like no. sad face laughs like, yeah. I'm helpless to save me. Oh, he absolutely gosh. does. It's so funny because, I mean, people don't think about it. It, it's, it is, again, I mean, there's a lot of things in 14 that are unusual for the structure of the game. I mean, include everything from this, like, yeah, the main scenario writer sitting in to direct all the voice acting to Yoshida-san, who's like, yeah, what's up, guys? Um, I'm still alive, barely. I'm director and producer. I love this game. One day it will suck the life from me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's uh... amazing. He wears less and less rings over time, so he can just do this when he has <laughs> It's pretty incredible. I think the team that managed to reboot this, um, really a lot of credit has to go to them. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't know, without the, the people that they had in place, that right. had the passion that they did, to really, I mean, again, I always reference the No Clip documentary, which if you love these little mm-hmm. documentaries, go watch the No Clip, because it's so incredible hearing Yoshida-san talk about literally the reboot of the game and what that like year was like for them as a Mm. development team. And now it's come so far and they, I mean, there's so much support and love for the game, which is pretty incredible. Uh, Next we see Bonri Oda. Uh, He's introduced as the world lore creator slash MSQ writer. He claims that he was only really a support job for the MSQ. Um, He was a dancer because we only have one. Oh, bitterness. Oh, boy. (laughs) But uh, uh, again, if you pay attention to the news uh, for 14 at all, you've probably heard this name before. Uh, Oda-san handles everything. Everything lore-wise goes through that guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Literally everything. I I feel like... hmm? Does he write the lore books himself? I think he has a part in it. He definitely think, at least has I'm a part. I'm sure he has a part. I think he's like the the last edit, maybe. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Final okay. check. Except for our yeah. buddy, uh, Moose, who gets to check. Yeah, yeah Moose could tell us, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but yes, he, he has to be there to help manage the main scenario. Because if uh, the writers come up with something that doesn't make sense to previous lore... He's got to be there to be like, no, 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 guys, we got to change this. And if they're like, no, he's got to go and make it fit in the lore as it was previously, <laughs> which we, we've we heard it both ways. They've they've had to modify to fit old lore and they've had to sort of squish in the idea that they want into old lore in such a way that it makes sense. Uh, the lead lore masseuse. He yes. massages it right, you know, like, okay, well, somehow we have to make this make sense. Yes. All right, well, we'll just, yeah, okay, we'll just squish that. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are the principles? I mean, when you think about Shadowbringers, it is so funny to me that he was like, I didn't do a whole lot for this. It wasn't. Yeah. But, like, literally all of Shadowbringers is lore. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Like, from <laughs> That's the why it's so ending, popular. <laughs> it's just, it's one of those things where you can tell, I mean, obviously, it's not just lore, but it's lore that's bringing together years of stuff in the game going back to crystal tower going back to this content that i mean 
obviously some of it was not, you know, intended to do X, Y, or Z, even though they have said that they at least had an idea of sort of the general arc of a lot of the game. But I mean, to tie in so many threads, there are so many little things that are in Shadowbringers, which is part of what makes it such a great payoff if you've played all the rest of the game. Um, he had to have played a massive role in this. I mean, everything from Aetherology and talking about all of this stuff in there and, you know, light and dark and how all these aspects, I mean, to the actual large scale things with the Asians. Um, I, I cannot imagine that he was just in the background eating a snack, you know? <laughs> I I do kind of like to imagine that. He's just like nibbling and they're they're doing their little presentation and he just, no, that doesn't work. Go back to nibbling. Wrong. <laughs> Um, Amaral was the thing, guys. Just dropping that one on you. I'm going to keep a popsicle. See you later. <laughs> Make that work in the story. All right. Bye. Uh, but yes, uh, he says that he helps manage a scenario writing team, as as we've been discussing. He does some side mm-hmm. quests, uh, which is probably why you can find so much lore in our side quests in this game. And takes care of overall lore creation, which we also already knew. <laughs> Yeah, side quests and Shadowbringers, well worth doing. There's some really mm-hmm. fun ones, and there's some cool rewards, um, extra lore. I mean, even just in the ambient dialogue, which I think is talked about a little bit, mm-hmm. there's a lot more that is kind of packed into Shadowbringers, and it's it's so worth it to actually like go and you know talk to yeah. people between the quests or talk to the NPCs around you or um, just sort of run around even in the major areas and talk to people. So then Yoshi P pops back in and he makes a comment about light and dark not being confi- uh, confined to Shadowbringers, uh, but that uh, this time we have like literal representations of them in uh, Heidelin and Zodiac and even mm-hmm. uh, like Rain and uh, Gaia. Um, he says that people's perception of light is usually a beautiful, righteous, and just, unstained and untainted, but that's not necessarily true. And that there's beauty and darkness also. And that's a big part of this expansion, as uh, many of us know. Uh, one of the lines of dialogue that he thinks is most relevant to this is, uh, it's the night sky that enables the stars to be beautiful. So I right, love that line. Right, right? <laughs> so they're looking for like a balance and or to remind people that, no, darkness is good too sometimes. So- um and they, he mentions that's that's one of the bigger challenges they had to overcome, even within their team, when people think of light and dark. Light equals good, dark equals bad. And they, mm-hmm. in their own minds, had to overcome that predetermined uh, thing because that's, that's not what they run and represent. They want to flip the, mm-hmm. the page a little bit. Um, I, I love this. And, I mean, they've been... It's oh, it's just so good. This is why Shadowbringer's so good. Uh-huh. They've been, like, hinting at some of this for ages. I mean, when we first started to get into it, I, I immediately thought back on the portions where Midgard Stormer strips you of the Blessing of Light. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time being like, no, what are you doing? <laughs> you rude dragon ghost. Give me my blessing back. Like, I'm supposed yep. to be a hero. And now knowing what we know and having all these different things and these perspectives changed. I mean, it's it's so great because it isn't just an out of nowhere flip with Shadowbringers, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it is kind of the culmination of a lot of things. Again, like we've been saying, um, and that line, oh, I just I can't I can't <laughs> say enough. I love yeah. that line, um, as well as the interpretation that you get with with a lot of the light and dark themes in Shadowbringers that we're tackling. 
to me, that line is just peak Final Fantasy VI because in the opera, <laughs> I'm the darkness, she's the starlight. Like, that will get me every single time. I love that stupid song. <laughs> <laughs> I listen it's to so it constantly. Good. So, like, when when he said, you know, when you see that line, it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm, it's not technically a throwback because it's not, but I felt those six feels, yes. I do think it's interesting that... Um... Even though this particular uh, flip-flop is very, very prevalent in a lot of Final Fantasies, it's still ingrained in this team's head, and in everybody's head, honestly, that light is good, dark is bad. It's it's still the norm. Yeah. Whereas we almost come to expect that there's going to be a flip-flop somewhere, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's fun because I think that in particular, like, MMOs again. I mean, 14 is so unique because it is this hybrid of this franchise and also the MMO genre. And in MMOs, like if you look at WoW, right? I mean, there is usually this dichotomy of good versus evil. That's also just a trope of like fantasy and Western fantasy, right? Where you always are kind of set up to go, oh, this is going to be some kind of experience where, you know, I know what's evil. I have to go kill it. And then we are good. And, you know, until the next threat, we're fine. But it is so, like, these nuances and the way that they're playing with it. And I think that, I mean, obviously having some of these incredible writers, in, including Ishikawa-san, like, there is this ambiguity and this interplay between these themes that you just don't always see, you know? And I think that's why it caught people off guard. Even if Final Fantasy as a franchise has it, you don't always see it in MMOs where you're pitched to be the hero, you know? To have yeah. this turn, it throws a lot of things into, but in a really like exciting way because we don't know where the story could go. And a really yeah. good example of that is uh, the Warriors of Light slash Warriors of Darkness from the first because they mm-hmm. just did good stuff. They didn't do bad stuff. They just did good stuff, yeah. and it still screwed everybody over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh. poor guys. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they they he also brought up the point that. Um, it doesn't help their case that since they already had void synth that come into the source and are monsters of darkness, it sort of already makes people think darkness equals bad. Uh, and that's kind of why Sun Eaters became a thing, so that they could be like, look, light also equals bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they talk actually for a while about the Teslian scene. Uh, Ishikawa mm-hmm. starts... Um, by saying that they knew the players were excited to get into dungeons, but they had a lot of uh, things at the beginning of the expansion that they wanted to explain. So uh, they don't always get the time for the explanations, so they settled on the extreme Teslin scene to get the point across quickly and solidly. Uh, They hoped to convey what the characters on the first had been experiencing, rather than dictate how the players should feel, Yeah, even though it was a brutal scene. So they just wanted to impart knowledge rather than to make you feel a certain way with that one. I think uh, a lot of us felt very similarly, but uh, Shikawa says that they wanted you to be able to feel different things. There were sort of many different emotions that you could Mm -hmm. pick from in that spectrum to to feel based on how you felt about the characters in the first. Yeah, and I think that totally held true. it's, It's always a fine line between... Yes, trying to make players feel something in a way that is directed, right? Like, we want you to be sad because Mm. this character was a mother figure or, you know, whatever it is. Because sometimes that will land for people. 
Um, and other times it won't because people yeah. just won't connect to whatever that pointed direction of story is or what the foundation of those beats were built on. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like there are a lot of different things in that Tesline scene. And I do think that that scene is crucial. So I'm not surprised that they talked about it a lot with Shadowbringers because that is really the first moment I remember in Shadowbringers going, other than when you land there on the first and the light is everywhere. Like that part was real good. Sure, but the yeah. Tesline bit is the first part where I went, oh my God, this expansion is going to punch me in the face. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to punch me in the face and I'm going to cry and it's going to be a thing. Um, because there are a lot of, there's a lot of things in that. Hopelessness, loss. Um, anger even. It's, it's anger. layered in with that, yeah. that dumb little kid sitting there like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, they're affected by uh, light and everything, but still. There's just sitting there, Tesla's trying to save him, gets murdered. Anger. Yeah. Alice's reaction like mm -hmm. really facilitates that anger too. And, and it depends on if you like Alice. If you do not give a crap true. about Alize, you're like, whatever. Yeah. If you if you do like Alize, you also get that little bit of empathy in there, like, oh no, my buddy. Yeah, and then that all lays the groundwork. Like, everything that happens in that scene lays the groundwork for later in the game when, for the first time, our hero is is having a true moment of weakness, you know, where you're being overcome by the light, where you are, like, you immediately have, as you see those same traits that you watched mm -hmm. in the, like, transformation of Tesline, you immediately have that in your mind because you know what's happening. So it really is kind of like a foundational scene, I think, for Absolutely. the rest of Shadowbringers. I don't know about you guys, but during that particular scene you're talking about where you as the warrior later are like, oh god, this is this light <laughs> is too much for me. I'm like, please, I don't want to cry crystal in weird tears. Please don't do this, please. <laughs> I was really glad they didn't do that. <sighs> Ugh. But yeah, it was definitely a callback for me. <laughs> Uh-oh player agency right. type of thing can you, you know, uh like, can you yeah. start from the beginning we cut out for just a little bit oh, oh no I problem. Said I, oh me or uh i think charles i don't know whatever okay. oh. after i said last oh i was just saying that i wonder if they didn't make us cry the crystal tears because of player agency or or something you know they didn't want you to feel like okay you completely lost control and now you know they thought yeah. maybe it was a little too there's, far there's still a chance you're not screwed yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and also, like, the way that they did it technically, I bet that that would have sucked on every face type. <laughs> like, that oh, oh yeah. Fun. Oh, my gosh. How much work? <laughs> I don't think they yeah, would yeah, yeah. I love that beat. Part of me oh, was yeah. hoping, I mean, of course, it would never happen. Part of me was like, yeah, turn us into the last yes. boss somehow, you know? Fight yourself. Fight like, yourself. fight yourself. Have, like, a special Shadow version Link. of yourself. It would be so good. Yes. <laughs> that would actually Person be pretty cool. I want my stories to hurt me just a little bit. Yeah. So, like, I was, I was ready. I was like, okay. So, how is this gonna work? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. am I gonna role play as someone else fighting me? That would have been cool too. No, role play no. as a science fighting you. I'm. That that would super I'm cool. in for this like Shadow Link uh, idea. Yeah, <laughs> that'll work. Yeah. Uh, where are we? Okay. Uh, Oda pops in next. Mm -hmm. uh, talks about the the liquid crying that I'm horrendously afraid of, apparently, uh, <laughs> and how it was something uh, new that they'd done technically. Uh, we've talked about this before, but they weren't really sure how to make this look real realistic, quote unquote. Um, and what they basically did was they made the models of the tears and pushed it through the front of uh, the face's model in such a way that it looked like the uh, tears were coming out of her eyes. Um, and since that was something 
knew that they'd figure out how to do technically. He's excited about uh, what they're going to be able to do with that in the future. Um, Ishikawa's uh, proposal for MSQ, uh, Oda says that Ishikawa's proposal for MSQ mentions uh, beings that later become Sun Eaters, which I guess is a reference to humans. The transfer, yeah. Uh, and uh, Oda and Yoshida agree that they didn't want Sun Eaters to look angelic or, or heavenly so much as, uh, I guess, what we right. got. <laughs> because they're supposed to uh, be the foils to... Uh, Voidson, as they mentioned earlier, be like, no, no, look, these are bad too. Light is bad too. And the name Senator itself uh, was meant to impart the idea that the first was due to be destroyed and consumed, om nom nom, due to the sins of mankind being too great, and the Sin Eaters uh, were born to consume the sin. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't really ever think of it that way. I did actually wonder why they went with Sin Eaters. That's uh, interesting. Oh, I um, love this term. Like, Go ahead and say the next part. Okay. But I, I love this term. So they, they took this, um, the two of them being Japanese and having an understanding of English, but maybe not all of the nuances. They took this to, to Koji, uh, who uh, they, I guess, usually take the English stuff to to make sure that it makes sense. And he proved it as is, which they said almost never happens. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was just perfect because the Sin Eater <laughs> in real life was someone who performed a religious ritual on someone who was dead to transfer the sins to them. So they would eat a meal at the burial of a person and transfer their sins into themselves. Like, this is a real thing in, like, Welsh <sighs> history. I so, didn't like, know and that it, it was, either. yeah. And so it's also like a concept in fiction to be the person who is on the front lines doing the things for your kingdom or whatever, eating the sin of war because you're going to kill people mm. to help your cup. I love the idea of Sin Eater. So when they said, when it was named Sin Eater, I was like, oh, I get it. I get it totally. That makes so much sense. But yeah, it's it's an interesting term that they chose and it just worked. It's funny. Yeah, It works right? so well. It's perfect. I mean, yeah, it's it feels so iconic now too. Yes. And um, I just, oh man, it is so good. And then it's, it's even more interesting when you get into stuff with, oh... Hold up, um, man who makes me sad with tiny, with tiny head on his chest. Oh, uh, Vathri. Vathri. Yeah. When you get into Vathri, <laughs> tiny face on his chest. He does. It's, yes. And he just eats people. Um, it's interesting <sighs> there because some of the areas where we see, I think, that iconic angelic imagery. It's not the actual creatures, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit, I mean, a little bit with some of the like higher ranking sin eaters yeah. where you get a little bit of that like Heidelin slash the, you know, um, the angelic with the sword. But um, mm-hmm. in particular, the most iconic version of this is innocence to me. And that is not something that is necessarily just a product of the process of light imbalance and ethereal imbalance. That is also a hybrid of the envisionings of mankind and how Vathri mm-hmm. embodies himself and to see that like he has almost manipulated these things around him where the light has become this angelic pure right. envisioning it's so like it's so good <laughs> because it's not just the truth. layers 
Yeah. yeah, and it's it's really fascinating to see how they played with that. And it makes me even more excited to see if we do eventually re-envision the Void Scent and we get into the world of darkness more and things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see how they expand on the stuff that they had kind of introduced and, you know, they have to change God. a little bit oh with the Void Scent. Mm-hmm. I will forever think of freaking Innocence Vothri as Griffith from Berserk. And the fact that... <laughs> That the Dark Knight with the big ass sword is kind of yeah. like the embodiment of the yeah. hero for this expansion. I'm like, this is too close. You had yeah. to know, guys. <laughs> you had to know what you were doing. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so from there, they move on to talk about uh, NPC dialogue, like uh, Brooke mentioned earlier. Uh, in Japanese, they call them hint talks. to indi- uh, They indicate where to go next and what to do. Uh, yeah. During 2.0... Uh, Oda says that they were plain and simple. Like we mentioned earlier, they were just hoping that the game would pick itself off its ass and keep walking. (laughs) Uh, So putting a whole lot into uh, these little hints was not necessarily efficient uh, time and money-wise for them. That's fair. But uh, once they got into it with 3.0, realized that they were going to be successful and continue the franchise, uh, Mm -hmm. they, they wanted to add more humorous elements. And they wanted to reward players with bonus dialogue for actually taking the time to talk to NPCs when they didn't have to do that to progress. Um, I do it every time. Yeah. Like every time you're with the Scions, I talk to every last one of them. In between unlocking Eden, every single person. Like I always do. Always every person in the Waking Sand, everybody. Well, Even it's if- it's such an <laughs> RPG thing. Yeah. You yeah. know? Like yeah. it, it is such an RPG thing. But again, a lot of times when people play MMOs. They've been taught to just blast past all of yes. that um, because, you know, why would you waste your time doing that? Just get to the point, get your experience, do the thing, you know, but I love that they put this in. I mean, I can remember 3.0. Was that when was that? Heavensward? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember some of the like horse font stuff and mm-hmm. little tidbits where I was going, oh, this is so worth it to read. And then I just yeah. started reading it all. And even if it's not, like, lore-related or very important little extra tidbits, it's something funny, something amusing. Yeah. Uh, they uh, do a really good job with that, I think. I mean, you see a whole different side of all of the Scions. I mean, you yeah. see it a little bit through the main cutscenes, but they are really hilarious if you stop and talk to them constantly. Oh, my goodness. Especially with the twins, I feel. Yes. You get the little, the little extra sibling rivalry from mm-hmm. those a lot of the time. Which makes, it, you know, it adds context for the actual cutscenes to have, you know, a little bit more layer of, uh, you know, you know their relationship better. You know, it, it's, it's just... It's just what? It's just nice. Ah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, oh, Ishikawa mentions that her favorite NPC uh, is Morin in the Cabinet of Curiosity. Once you've finished everything in that base Shadowbringers expansion, if you go back and talk to Morin, uh, you get some dialogue that's quite intriguing, according to her. I don't know um, if what Morin says now is the same as... No, it can't be. No, I don't think so. No. It, no. I, I went. After I watched this part, I went and I talked <laughs> yeah. to Morin. I don't know if they updated it, uh, or if there was a section uh, right after the main expansion Maybe. where Morin said something quite intriguing, quote-unquote. But what Morin says now is relevant to our latest patch, so maybe that's what she was talking about. Yeah. Either way, what they say is, ah, player character name, <laughs> I don't suppose you've come to tell me of a preternatural shower of stars as well. 
I rushed outside to see for myself, but there was naught but clouds and blue skies when last I looked. It is said that Ardbert is somehow related to, if not the cause of, this strange phenomenon. I have poured over near every tome here in the cabinet, hopeful that I might discover something to explain what is happening. Alas, there are truly strange, or these are truly strange times, my friend. So nothing in the books say anything about the mm-hmm. star, star shower, which is a and neat little thing. See it. Yeah, and the fact that they didn't see it at all is like, hmm. I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder how, what relevance that has. He was out of range for the spell, you know? Yeah. Just... <laughs> he, he was out of range of say chat, so he missed it in the RPG. Yeah. <laughs> I do also think it's it's interesting. This this person is probably paying more attention to what's going on in the Crystorium than a lot of the people that live there. But they already say that it's it's Ardbert that has something related, is, is somehow related to this. So, yes. It's likely that the people in the Crisarium already know, like, this guy has something to do with this. Maybe it's not just me. Maybe maybe we'll be able to use that later as a little, mm-hmm. like, you guys, this guy's, this guy's bad. That thing you saw related to him is bad. It's bad, too. It's bad. <laughs> probably not, but hey. Yeah, probably. It's, it's an interesting little little fact. Yeah. Uh, and, and you see those all over the place, so talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> I know I have a, a number of friends that just run circles when they're waiting for something to pop or whatever. Go talk to NPCs. Yeah. It's more yeah. interesting it it's than running in circles. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I mean, we've even seen that a little bit. Um, Anukali has had, yeah. mm-hmm. who won, his name is definitely the most fun name to say oh, yes. in Final Fantasy. Um, but two, he has like, oh my gosh. This for this character that I thought was a throwaway character right. that you know wasn't going to be at all relevant beyond the plot with uh you know the warring triad. He has had I mean some of the things that actually led us into Shadowbringer, some little dialogue and things there. He's had little tidbits. I'm really curious to see if they're going to update him again during some of these patch cycles because we know if you actually like talk to him and go through these things that he has a role to play with the world of darkness and um, all these things that are sort of tied into him. Um, so yeah, like you never know. They could really pick just about any NPC and patch something in and you could be the one that finds it. Yeah. And you just have to kind of, you know, keep your ear to the ground. And if you've got some extra time as well, where they just to go around and tool through some zones and talk to some people, do some side quests, see what's going on. It's a fun time. Mm-hmm. So at this point, they start wrapping up this video. Uh, Oda's closing comments. Uh, says they wanted to make sure uh, with 5.0 they had plenty of twists and going into the future they want to make sure that they don't get repetitive or complacent so he's excited for what will come next ishikawa says uh that she's only in charge of msq for uh, one patch from 5.1 onward uh from the uh and this is a quote from the bottom of the ocean to the tops of towers it will be an adventure that takes you far and wide in search of what really matters so if you're willing to come along for the journey and you like the ending even a little bit it will make me very happy i was like i "I don't know how to paraphrase this you get a quote (laughs) right now i'm I'm wondering which one it is it's gotta be the last one right it's gotta be the last one Um, i would guess so and my she's gotta stick the landing she's got to and with her having been so like pivotal with Shadowbringers, I feel as though that's probably where she'll be. And yeah. then that makes me curious, too, because I'm going, well, if they don't have her on any of the patches, is she working on the next? 
right? Yeah. She, right? That was know, my thought. Is she writing stuff for the next at, experience? At this point, yeah. she's just reviewing everybody else's work and working on stuff yep. for the next mm. expansion. Definitely. That's what I thought. So, yeah. yeah, I think probably she'll be in charge of the last, like, the lead-in for what's mm-hmm. coming. Like, that makes absolute sense yeah. to me, and especially if she is working on the next X-Pack, to have her kind of make sure that she can direct the experience into what she's been working on would make total sense. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm also wondering if uh, the from the bottom of the ocean to the tops of the towers is a specific hint or just mm-hmm. sort of a an overarching thing. Overarching. Who knows? That seems like a specific hint, right? But what towers that would be referencing? Sure. Yeah, we have so oh. many to pick from. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we can assume that bottom of the ocean would be, that. my guess would be Amarant. Crystal <laughs> Tower. Everything. Yeah. I could yeah, maybe. maybe <laughs> That's true. And and we do know this is Tin Hat time. Oh yeah. We do know we that the portal to the world of darkness, there is one in the top of the tower, even though it's been shut mm-hmm. down. So that that could be I mean, I don't know, little Tin Hat time. Yeah. But I feel like World of Darkness would be a good next logical step in some at some point in our expansion yeah. series. So that would that would not be totally crazy, I don't think. We shall see. I would shall. like it. Uh, and then Yoshi P is last. He uh, says he feels the dev team has grown a lot through their experiences. And he says uh, that they gave it their all. And he thinks the final product really shows it. And he too feels that he has grown through this experience and the support of the players. People like you. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm just thinking, like, we need to give this poor man a break. Because when, when yeah. somebody says something and he just goes, huh, or nightmare, <laughs> you, you got to know he's tired, right? Just yeah. You know he loves it, though. I cannot imagine somebody putting the time and effort and energy into a game like this if they didn't. You know, I yeah. mean, the amount that he handles, I, he's, he's stated that he is passionate about MMOs and mm-hmm. has been for a long time. And I mean, obviously in certain interviews, he's talked about the fact that like, oh yeah, it'd be great to do a single player game down the road if they wanted me to or things like that. But it is funny because I feel like him leaving Final Fantasy would probably be incredibly difficult for him. Yes. (laughs) Like it's his baby at this point. I mean, he's overseen so much of the 14 relaunch. It would be so difficult. Um, But I mean, who knows? Square Enix would send like bullies to his house to be like, "Mm mm-mm. You can't leave. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Yoshida-san, you're the one who fixed this game. <laughs> you can't leave now. Until it dies, you have to be in charge of you're it. Stuck. Yeah. You're stuck. <laughs> yeah, thinking about, like, when when he has those moments of th- those long blinks where he <laughs> is trying to will the question out of ex- um, <laughs> When he has those, he's just seeing, like, the timelines of okay, well, this has to get done before that, and then this has to happen at the same time, and we have to send this audio over there to get localized, and then if we did this, this is going to move that, and then that's literally what's going on in his brain. Like, those, the producers at the top level of video games, I don't know how they exist. I don't know how they do what they do, because it's just so much work to manage. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the end of the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go right into the second one. It's called Forging First. Uh, the first person introduced to us is the lead level designer, Arata Takahashi. Uh, he says, when creating an area, at first it only exists in their imaginations, but it slowly comes together by bits and pieces. He says, uh, it's really fun and rewarding 
Yes. <laughs> really fun and rewarding <laughs> to see something that uh, uh, at one point only existed in your head and is now realized in front of you. I, I can imagine that would definitely be the case. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Arata says that he manages the creation of different backgrounds uh, that are requested from the other teams. Um, that being, I guess, uh, like area layouts and stuff. Yeah, I think so. Uh, as well as works on both dungeons and fates. He also manages special movement abilities like flying, diving, and swimming. Which I think is an interesting little extra bit of work that this person has to do. Yeah. I guess just yeah. because they're, you know, familiar with, you know, how the levels work in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what areas there are, what dimensionality. I mean, if you're realizing mm-hmm. the landscapes, it it makes sense that, I mean, yeah, you probably have the best idea of how all that stuff has been built yeah. and can interact, you know? But it's kind it of is, like I mean, sending Ishikawa for the voices. It's like, she yeah. knows the best what they need to do. He knows the best how movement would work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, then we are introduced to Masato Shida. They are a background artist, and they work on weather elements, polishing fields, and lighting for dungeons. I loved the lighting discussion. Yes. Yeah. This, is, yeah, this, this specific uh, guy's job was very important for this particular expansion. Mm-hmm. What with yeah. all the, the different weather changes and, and how you have different ones for different parts of the story and all of that. Yeah. It's very significant work. And then we're uh, the last person we, we uh, are introduced to on this particular video is Takeo Suzuki. And they are mm-hmm. introduced as the art team lead. That's also probably a name that you've heard before. Yes. <laughs> uh, they're the art overseer for graphics and art, including character design, animation, cutscenes, background environments, and technical art. Uh, each He says each art section that I just named has their own leader, uh, but he is also the leader for background environments specifically and technical art. So he's like his own boss in a couple of situations. Um, Sheeta pops in again, saying the designing zone. Yep, saying mm-hmm. designing zones begins with broad ideas from the game designers, and then the artists work to flesh out those ideas to create fun experiences for players, while making sure it makes sense from a story perspective. Oda, help us! Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is all. It's. It's so interesting to me because we've talked about this a bit on the podcast before, right? As far as like interactive open worlds go, 14, I think has struggled sometimes trying to figure Mm -hmm. out how they want to balance, you know, what do we put in here for players? Fates, Mm -hmm. how do we make fates rewarding? Do we have these special bosses? How do we do these different things? You know, to make the landscapes, we've got the sightseeing, we've got fishing, we were reinvigorating things like gathering and, it's still something that I think that they are trying to figure out as they continue to progress the game. But one thing that I think has always been incredibly clear about Final Fantasy XIV is that those zones are gorgeous. Like, they are iconic. <laughs> and they reflect so much about the story or what has happened or while also still maintaining a sense of not just being frozen in one specific thing, you know? Right. like. And, and a lot of times you do get that with a lot of MMOs where this is the zone that is at war. And no matter how long that war's been over, it's still at war. You know, right. it's that yeah. thing. But in 14, the world always feels robust. It feels like a world. And even if there are certain things um, or fates or stuff that kind of time it or place mm-hmm. it in the timeline, the world itself is just visually gorgeous. 
So it, it is really uh, cool to hear from the designers themselves how they create it. And um, I mean, honestly, I'm like, I, I hope they keep doing these kinds of series because I'd love to hear in another expansion even how they talk about like addressing maps and zones. Yeah. I think there could be even more that they're working on. Uh, you saying, uh, mentioning the zones that are always at war, I'm like, I wonder if Domo will ever change. Because that's, that's a specific that's example point. of, th this shit is wrecked all the time. <laughs> I mean, like, starting with uh, Alexander, I think it was, was the moment for me that I was like, wait, did that change? Yeah. That zone changed. Mm -hmm. Well, that's cool. You know, like, that's really cool. Like, WoW does a little bit of it in phasing nowadays, but it's not to the same, I mean, it is now, but it wasn't to the same scale at the same time. Uh, yeah. So it was really interesting to see. Okay, and it's it's a little change, really. It doesn't yeah. really affect you, but but then and like the uh, the fringes, you have that tower yeah. that we blow up and it falls yeah. over. Yeah, yeah, and there's the the salt. Oh, the saltery. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, just outside of. Yeah, if you do that little bit there, like there's some visual repairs that happen with the locks and that. Mm -hmm. um, there, I mean, obviously the Dolmen Enclave, but that's its yes. own kind of instance yeah. thing. Now, Ishgardian housing with the fates, you know, you clear stuff and like that's a, its mm. own thing. And a lot of those that's feel a lot of phases like, to that, too. Like they yeah. put a lot of work into that. It almost yeah. feels like laying the groundwork to have slightly more dynamic zones down the road. Yes. You know what I mean? Where we're going to see more and more of that. If, or even yeah. the lighting in yeah. Shadowbringers when the sky yeah. clears up, yeah. you know? But to, to me, if that's the stuff they're like, for example, we only get one dungeon at a time now. If they're doing that so they can do little phase changes in areas instead, I'm fine with that. I think yeah, that's it's fine. way cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. Area inspiration. <laughs> right. Arata speaks first, saying that they visited Saudi Arabia to get the firsthand desert experience. Uh, if, if you went to FanFest, they mentioned this during one of the panels. They actually took uh, cameras out there and took pictures of the sand. So some mm -hmm. of the textures out in uh, Amarang are very realistic because they're real pictures of real sand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they took, like I said, they took pictures of different types of textures uh, that they implemented in the game. Uh, the Ronkin ruins were inspired by the Angkor Wat. I'm not sure if I said that right. Uh, ruins in Cambodia. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. I didn't know that. I want to look that up now. Cause... Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I I know of the place, just random knowledge, but I didn't, I, I can see it now. Because it was like, I wonder what this is inspired by, because it was yeah. kind of Mesoamerican, yeah. you know, like, but <laughs> I, so couldn't, much. I couldn't, I didn't know. Yeah. And then uh, Kalusia, the, the area itself, not any of the cities, uh, was inspired by a coast in the UK called the Seven Sisters. Uh, their this goal was to make a wide open plain by the sea with a lonely feeling. This one's so cool to see the picture of. If you haven't right? watched the video, sorry, I got yeah. really excited yeah, exactly. to do that. <laughs> but it was just because I, I really was, I mean, it's like you were saying, Alduno, when you can see where that inspiration from, suddenly it makes sense. Yes. And, I think that zone in particular had always been one to me where I was like, okay, guys, yeah. I get that you wanted to phase us. So, you know, we can't get to the end game portion of the zone before we've done the beginner portion of the zone. But why you put this huge, huge wall cliff. that I now have to like fly up to get to wherever I'm going, you know? Um, and yet, and yet, 
it's really neat seeing even the photo that they took of the Seven Sisters, which you can see in that video. Um, and then seeing how it looks identical. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It looks just like it in the zone. But then to also take that a step further and build this story around it with the lift and, you know, yes. um, the robots in the factory and everything else that will eventually play into even like patch content, you know, um, it's, it's so fun to see how all of that comes together to sort of create this unique zone. Uh, this is my favorite one of the bunch. They go into more detail about it. That's not why it's my favorite. But mm -hmm. so when they were planning for Lakeland, uh, they uh, kept in mind the concept uh, of the that the first is a branch of the source. Uh, so Lakeland inhabits the same space as Mordona. They're in the same area. Uh, they wanted to keep something reminiscent of Mordona while making the new area. So uh, with Mordona's violet weather in mind. You know, the, the special, like, miasma mm -hmm. weather it has. Uh, they created the purple foliage in Lakeland. And I think that's really cool. They were just basically like, what What do you think of when you think of Mordona? Well, I think of purple. All right, mm -hmm. purple. We're going to put purple in this other place. Yep. <laughs> so rather than, like, even uh, a particular formation of land, it was a color. And I like yeah. that. I like that concept a lot. Yeah, and I think it's hard for place which which is can you start again we, you're doing the robot oh yes can you hear me now yes now? you're good okay um it's it's really interesting because mordona is so visual and, and iconic to us from the base game mm -hmm. but i think even sometimes i forget that lakeland is the same area mm -hmm. and my brain do. has to like go through oh yeah this is it um, but when you start putting together that like the lake there is the same lake with Keeper of the Lake mm -hmm. and all these different things, it's really, really a fun time lore-wise and, and kind of map-wise to go through and be like, oh, this is probably what Mordona might have looked like to some degree before it got devastated yeah. in the right. calamity. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to keep those little ties that kind of uh, give it its own unique thing. I mean, I always thought of like ultraviolet light with that purple, mm -hmm. um, if you like have an, a, a camera or something that can kind of capture the light spectrums and you can take photographs, things will look like red or purple or mm -hmm. it, it's really interesting. Um, so I always felt like that in the zone, but I, I didn't realize until this interview that it was actually supposed to be kind of a, a nod to the violet weather in yeah. Mordona. Yeah. But they apparently started the design of Lakeland with a picture that Ishikawa had modified to reflect what she envisioned for Lakeland. And from there, Shida basically was like, what do I want there? I want, I want cherry blossoms there. And so, so yeah. that purple moved into the cherry blossoms. Mm -hmm. Now we get, what are they called? Lakeland elf trees? A new furnishing you can so. get. <laughs> Those are hunt currency, right? I do not I think know. they're hunt currency. I feel like Probably. they were patched in recently. So. Or yeah, or fate, yeah. fate vendor. I'm not sure. It's one it's of them. Fate or hunt. Yeah. But you can get you can get those trees now for your own yards and decoration mm -hmm. purposes. And the grass. Purple grass on the ground, if you want that. <laughs> grass on the ground. Um, <laughs> and then Suzuki pops in uh, saying that the Bismarck Island uh, wasn't part of the original area request at all, but was included as a random idea from uh, the background team. And in a meeting to nail down MSQ story details... The background team was informed that this random island that they created was going to be used to fly the heroes to the Tempest, which is really <laughs> cool. They're like, we just made up something. It kind of looks like a whale, whatever. They're like, no, yeah. no, we're going to use that. 
<laughs> I wonder if originally Bismarck wasn't, you know, because they're saying that they were going to fly on a whale. So that island was just an island before it was yeah. Bismarck. That's pretty yeah. funny. Well, the, the original <laughs> idea was to have a whale-shaped island, probably just because yeah. the background team was like, wouldn't this be funny? It'll be like a nod to, to Bismarck's because Bismarck is a thing that shows up in Final Fantasy a fair amount. All the time. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and then the, the the MSQ team was like, you know what? We gonna use that. We do need a whale. Thanks, guys. It's cool to see how they, they things that really aren't anything, other teams will get inspiration from. I mm-hmm. love that. It's very cool. Um, and then they'd go on to talk about the weather. Uh, usually zones differ based on uh, time or weather, as we know, you know, day, night, different yeah. songs, different night sky, whatever. Um, but in the world flooded by night, they had a different challenge to overcome environment-wise. Shida admits uh, to being very proud of his light weather creation, uh, since in the world it's very important. Uh, they needed it to represent an overwhelming amount of light while remaining oppressive and lonely in feeling. You guys think they, they manage that? I think so. I do. Oh, yes. Oh, Definitely. Yes. Uh, they refer like, to the, the beams that come down as, I think they said, God beams or something? Yeah. I didn't write it down. <laughs> uh, maybe they said, like, God rays or something That's like what that. it was. Yeah. Rays. Yeah. Yeah. That's a kind of technical term and kind of not. It's just for the shafts of light from yeah. in between clouds. Yeah. I think that definitely adds to the, like... Oh. Uh, you know, impressiveness of it all. Yeah, and the scale, I mean, all the detail, like the scale of the clouds and the way they're layered, and um, I mean, just the look of it, it is it is both incredibly beautiful, because, I mean, it just draws your eye, but they really, I think, nailed that feeling of it almost being, yeah, like this wall, this mm-hmm. wall, where just these beams of radiance, like, come, they break through. Absolutely. But even then, it isn't necessarily... A pleasant thing, you know, yeah. because everything feels like it is just being so like looked down upon by this light that's just mm-hmm. sort of yeah over you're right. you at all times. It's like a it's like a wall. It's like a forest canopy, except it's just light instead of yeah. leaves. <laughs> it reminded me of a very old MMO thing that has it has nothing to do with anything, but it's a fun okay. story. Matrix Online uh-huh. was a horrible game, <laughs> <laughs> but during the beta. You'd play and, you know, like, you could be on the human side, machine side, whatever. Uh, at the end of the beta, they decided to do an event where they turned people into agents and you were hunting each other down and whatever. So that was cool. Um, but then, like, the sky <laughs> turned into, like, the skybox was just eyes. Just eyes looking down. Oh, and then every once in a while, the people like who it. were still alive, there'd be a shaft of light around them. And it would say, you know, attack this person. And then it would get everyone to go find them. And, like, oh that was God. such a cool event. But, like, the the shafts of light from the sky and it being so... It just feels like you're being watched. Like, yeah. it's just this weird... Not quite like, as some literally as eye skies, yeah, okay. but... <sighs> it's like you feel exposed yeah. to like the light. Spotlight. It's weird. Yeah. 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 Oof. Don't like it. Why yeah. you keep telling me about things that are terrible? <laughs> no, I mean, it was fun so playing cool it. Idea. Yeah, what a cool event on this Oh, night. man. I was so excited after that. Then I played it, and I was no longer. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Yeah. So uh, Shida then mentions uh, that for his research, uh, he went to Guam to look at clouds. Yeah. Took like a million pictures of clouds so that he successfully rendered the perfect thick cloud type to add to that 
light coming from the sky mm. to make us feel really just oppressed. <laughs> yeah. I think it's that. also interesting that that type of cloud cover or or sunsets and things, right, that kind of look like that, also can have this connotation of pollution. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean it's, uh, yeah, like when you think about areas where you get a lot of those um, mm. dynamic, I mean, uh, sunsets and things, a lot of times they are because of, unfortunately, just pollution in the air. Right. Um, which also makes it very difficult to see the stars if you're in a city or an area like that. Uh, so I think all around, I mean, the design of the clouds and, and the look and the effect brings a lot of things to mind. You can tell they put a lot of research in. Right. It's an odd kind of realistic touch. The clouds and yeah. the pollution and the no stars. <laughs> That's them. The clouds and the light pollution and the no stars. <laughs> yep. Oh. Uh, and then the last thing. Uh, well, not the last thing, but they, they talk about the dwarf houses. Have you guys been mm -hmm. in those at all? Anybody no, have a lot of character? A yeah. Uh, I watched my girlfriend go in because she has a Lollafell, and I felt like I was snooping. Yeah. Uh, so I stopped. You were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, I'm not supposed to see this. I'm yeah. far too tall to go in there. So for whatever reason, uh, some of some of you may know, but for whatever reason, it was requested that only dwarves and Lollafell could enter the dwarven houses uh, in Kalusha. So the, the little house doors are very small and you can't yeah. go in if you're, if you're a I... tall person. I really think that that's a throwback to a previous Final Fantasy, but I can't is it? place it. I think it is. I think in one of the games where you go to a, a dwarf village, you can't go in. But that's just my memory. I haven't looked it up. Like, oh, that's, I don't know. That's definitely a, that like a nostalgia thing they do, I feel. I'm, Did they I'm not? I'm pretty sure I remember that. I'm trying to remember if they gave like a preface in the video about what inspired this. Or if it was just that they were realizing the landscape and they went, oh, wouldn't it be hilarious if people couldn't go in there? <laughs> and then somebody just said, do it. Like, why not? Well, why not? <laughs> it's uh, a fun touch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But they, they had to they had to design all the little insides of those houses. And only a small portion of the population are ever going to see them. Right. Um, but apparently they went right up to the wire on this uh, one while they were modifying things and including utensils and furniture that were just the right size. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much housing the rest of you guys do. A lot. But uh, a lot of the stuff uh, in my house is way too big for me. Like, um, yeah. the toast breakfast is the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, I could wear that piece of toast like a shirt on my character. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna eat something that huge, mungus. But uh, so apparently they went through and made sure that all of the furnishings and stuff were the right size for Lalafal slash Dwarfin character mm -hmm. heights, which it's a very cool little tiny detail that. Not everybody gets to see. <laughs> yeah. There are so many little touches like that in the landscapes, though. I mean, even if you go into, and this is going to sound a little bit silly, but I I didn't even, and I usually like to look at environments in detail, but I didn't even start to really notice a ton of the details until I started to role play. Yeah. <laughs> because you go, you're like scouting out locations to do RPs in, right? And before you know it, you know, you're looking in this little tavern or this, you know, little area and you're going, oh, there's all these NPCs that I can draw on or this little detail or this thing or these posters or th whatever it is that you can draw on to try and yeah. flesh out your own narrative while you're writing together. And there are just tons of things. So getting even more of that on the first is like 
I live for it. I love I love knowing that I can't go in the Lalafell houses, but maybe yes. one day I can. <laughs> or knowing that they took the time to try and create you know, logic about crawling well, out the people. Yeah, how would they live here? Or how would you know? I just mm -hmm. I think those details are really fun. Uh, you made me think of in the in the Crystarium in the housing areas. There's the one that we uh, go to. What's that? Pendants? Yes, pendants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's the one that we um, go to, talk to the NPC, go to our room. And then there's also a second one that we never have to go to at all. It's pretty much the exact same thing. And both mm -hmm. of them have two rooms that are open. You can just walk into. Uh, and you really and go check them out. Yeah, you don't ever like have a reason to, but they're there. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all a little bit different. And it's, it's just kind of a neat extra little detail. Um, what else do we got here? Oh, also, um, in the Crystarium, they have sprinkler system. And the sprinklers actually go off at the times of the day when they should. They, they, they're on little timers. Because. So, so why not? Because. Why not? Yep. They don't want to overwater the plants. It's yep. very hard to grow <laughs> stuff in the first, guys. They're being responsible. So they, I guess here they're just pointing out all the little extra details that yeah. people probably will never notice, but that they really enjoyed putting together. But all of those things contribute to the story, right? Yeah. Even if you don't think about it, the fact that you have a sense of how people are living and that these times have been so trying, but they I think they've also led to innovation. I mean, you know, like if you've done any of the facet stuff that obviously there's all these creative people coming together to build things and try to, you know, supply the survivors. But then you even have these little details like, well, we need to grow crops, but we yeah. don't really have natural weather. So what are we going to do? We're going to make sprinklers. Yep. You know? <laughs> so it's yeah. it's. I think it's really great if you want the full story of a zone to go and like look for those things. And like you were saying that if you're running in circles, just do little detours and go yeah. see if you find something new or like a little piece of NPC dialogue that you've never seen or just something that catches your eye. I saw mm -hmm. something new in Central Shroud like a year or two ago that I'd never noticed before. You know, starting zone Central Shroud. <laughs> saw yeah. something new and I was like, <laughs> it was such a small thing it was uh one of the, like collapsed entrances to uh the dusk white underground or mm -hmm. something which the name escapes me right now but gamora yeah there you go that's it yeah but i was like guys what is this i've never seen it before and they're like yeah okay well that's that's a gamora entrance that's been there. chill out it's it's not new i keep okay. hoping that at some point they will give us like a map under the map where we'll yeah. actually get to go see Dusk Whites because the poor Dusk White population, True. there's like no Dusk Whites that I can think of that are major characters or major NPCs or Not that are yeah. evil. Yeah. yeah. Like there's the one is the guy who who uh pulls rank on Gaius at Dusk White. I don't know. The guy I I can't remember now. Maybe he might be, and he might be the only one. <laughs> like I was like, I I'm not even sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's real bad. Yeah. We need something for the dusk whites. <laughs> so that's uh, they get into their closing remarks here. Suzuki says uh, the positive reactions from the created zones uh, went above and beyond their expectations. So thanks everybody. 
Uh, Sheeta says that they worked really hard to make uh, areas whose skies and light change with the passage of time. So I'd love for players to pay attention to the ever-evolving environments of Norvrand and enjoy it. So maybe that's a hint that we're going to see some more different changes. Mm-hmm. Expansion's not over, guys. Pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> and then in closing, Arata says, uh, there may be certain nooks and crannies within the zones that you haven't had the chance to discover yet, which we've been talking about. Uh, <laughs> so I hope you get an opportunity to explore the world of Norvrand. Take your flying mount. Take it, uh, a look from up in the air, and hopefully you'll find somewhere that you fall in love with, and that becomes your favorite place to be. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of great spots like that. Um, yeah, it's 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 great to hear about how they design all these different areas and zones. Yeah. And I mean, I love I loved a lot of the areas. <clears throat> it's tough because how about both of you? What was your favorite zone in Shadowbringers? And I feel like I should almost say that the last zone is out. You can't okay. say yeah, it. except okay. for yeah. <laughs> hmm. Okay, what are, we have Lakeland, we have Ilmeg, mm-hmm. we have Kalusia, mm-hmm. we have Amarang. Mm-hmm. Is that all yes. of them? Raktika. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I forgot my favorite. <laughs> Uh, it's weird. Like, I don't like the pixies at all. I don't like the way it looks when you first get there. But after you return the night to Omeg, I want to hang out there all the time. Like, just (laughs) from afar, that castle at night. Like, during the day, it's a little extra. (laughs) (laughs) At night, oh, man. It just, it looks so fairy tale-like. So, Western fantasy and I really like that aesthetic. So I was that Ilmeg. I'll just, you know, I'll put a shack right next to Ariange. You know, we'll be fine. Candylands. Yeah. Well no, I won't I won't go there. Hmm. <laughs> I'll I, hang out with the new moon. There's an interesting detail uh I didn't notice until the other day. The wings on the castle cast a shadow. Yeah. Which I'm like, why? How? Aren't you what? ethereal? Like what I are don't know. you? This castle actually that... has some solid wingage going on. Yeah, I mean, it's Alexander. Maybe... It's the first Alexander. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe when um, the oh Light Warden was imprisoned mm-hmm. in there, it it somehow like the energy cor- like corroded or created yeah. these light outcroppings or crystals yeah. or, I mean, yeah, it's. Or maybe once, it could also have just been the Fae, you know? Yeah. It, maybe they just um, modified it to be their new seat of rule before the corruption mm-hmm. of the of the queen. So there could there could be so many reasons for that, but it is yes. real pretty. <laughs> I want to know what the, the source of the wings is. I hope that they tell yeah. us at some point. And I mean, even in like the, the old Vobert area, like I just love that general yes. area. I want to know more yes. about it. Yes. The it's underwater nice. area is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah like, that too. The yeah. ruins as you go and you submerge under, like, oh, I love that. I just, whole I love bit. that zone. I'm the just architecture on those buildings is quite, yeah. it's quite lovely. Except for the one that Oriange lives in. That one, <laughs> yeah. you know what, you know what's going on with that one. Yeah. I, even... <laughs> I feel like that one looks more like all of uh, the like more fairy areas. So I'm just gonna pretend that's a that's a fairy house. It's a mushroom. <laughs> A real tall mushroom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, Raktika's, Raktika's probably my favorite, but also yeah. the music there, which makes it's it really so tough. But I love, oh man, 
I love the Viera village. Like yeah, that finale is, oh, because like in 12, I can still remember like 12 is one of my favorite Final Fantasies. People give it a lot of hate, but I loved the aesthetic and the feel of that like tactics verse, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's so unique. And one of my favorite things was wandering around uh, the jungle as you were, you know, initially kind of going through 12 and then you find and like go into the, the village yeah. and, you know, hearing from Fran about all the stuff that's going on with the Viera. It's just, oh, it's so good. It's so magical. And we didn't even necessarily get quite as much of that. You know, we, we don't hear a lot of the Viera, mm-hmm. at least in 14, talking about, you know, their connection to the woods and, you know, whether or not they can hear right. the voice of, you know, we don't know. <clears throat> we don't know for sure, but um, it's still like going back to that village made me feel a little bit of the magic of 12 again. <laughs> and I was excited. <laughs> I didn't Anything ever, about Ivalice is good. Yeah, I didn't That's even it. ever play 12 or Tactics. Uh, slap my hand. But uh, just <laughs> the look of it in general is is very yeah. pretty. Very pretty. Um, I want to I build something like that. I want more more items that look like that to put in my house, please. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Viera Treehouse housing style win. Yes, just when when can we lawn. do that? I'll never go in the actual house again. Just kidding, you have oh. to. <laughs> no, I mean, like, just, you know, we have a Paisa house. Get a Viera house. There you go. Yes. Oh, I all the houses are real house. small, though. That, yeah, that's true. That's all right. Give me some Viera furnishings. We have some yeah. stuff from the step now. I would mm-hmm. I would sell my I would sell my soul to get some Viera-themed kind of forest treehouse stuff. It'd be real good. Yeah. All right. That was the end of that one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we think should we fit this last one in here i think the next one will be quick because there's so much visual that we can't show you okay (laughs) let's let's get going then the third in the series of creating shadowbringers is uh shaping the styles uh it starts with yuji yamazaki uh character Mm -hmm. artist uh, they talk about nerves with each new release, how nervous which they is, are. Which is funny because uh, he's been working since Final Fantasy X. He's he was like a CG <laughs> designer on ten. Wow! So like he's and, so sweet. Yeah, and he was the model designer on twelve. That's why. Ah. that's one of the the big things he did. Yeah. I love his energy. Even just when he started talking. I don't know. I I have no idea. This is just my own guess. It felt like he's not used to being recognized, but he was really excited oh, to yeah. talk about all the things that yeah, he Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Without a doubt. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> so, uh, Yamazaki has to do with creating new gear in game. Uh, mm-hmm. So, if if like me, you are a fan of how much gear we get, then just worship this guy. Uh, it has to do with the colors, the textures, the dyeable sections. They started out uh, only doing design and structure. But their new responsibilities have to do with facial expressions and hairstyles and a whole bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. This, I okay, I would like to do this job. Or, yeah. <laughs> or the people who do the, the seasonal events. <laughs> the people who get to go through and decide where all the junk for the seasonal events goes. I want to do that. Yeah, I mean, 14 has some of the most gear out of any MMO. I mean, just that you can get in the game and get from drops and get from events and get from all kinds of stuff, right? So much. There's so much. 
And it was, uh, it's, it's exciting and interesting to hear them talk about all the details that go into that. And especially um, Yamazaki-san, like I said, he just seems so excited. Mm-hmm. And what he's talking about, you know, like, these are all the challenges we face. Like, you know, what are we going to make dyeable? And how are we going to, you know, make it the fabric look a certain way? And how are we going to, you know, make all these things come together? And then sort of extending that out to everything, like the other customization options that we have, like emotes and hairstyles. Um, that's a lot of stuff to tackle yes. across the board. Yeah, and yes. he, it's it's how he presented. Now I do. It's that happens so often. Like you'll you'll be like, <laughs> you can do this too, right? Ah, uh, yeah, you can do that, right? Ah, uh, sure. And then that is what you do. Like <laughs> that's, it's it's true of so um, a lot of uh, art positions. If you yeah. can do multiple different things you are five thousand percent more likely to get hired yeah like Uh, i work in motion capture and we have mostly animators and it's like you don't really need but in case we do and we have needed them or people who can do modeling or you you never know Mm -hmm. then we uh move on to ayumi namai character concept artist who handles character design, NPC design, gear design, weapon design. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they notably worked on Yashola, Reen, and Urionje's uh, Shadowbringers designs. So if you like those outfits, which I do, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, especially Yashola, and they worked on the four options of Viera faces. That's cool. She's also a 12 alumni. Oh, so yeah? they both worked on yeah. 12, yep. Oh. She is so cool. She's like, uh-huh. can I just be honest? Yeah. If Yamazaki has, like, oh, I'm kind of nervous and I, you know, oh, this is, like, his energy. Like, but I'm so excited. Namai just came in and I was like, how did I not know that you were on this team? Because she's like, <laughs> um, I've pretty much done everything and I design, like, everything. And also, I just kill it. I just nail it. Yeah, every time. <laughs> And she looks so good. Like her outfit even. She's just so yeah. composed. And she I was is like, definitely okay. a designer. <laughs> yes. I was like, we are in good hands here. We are in good mm-hmm. hands. You keep coming up with good stuff for us. I designed this and this and this and me. Yeah. <laughs> and all this. Yes. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be your portfolio if you were a designer? Yeah, pretty much. Know? Especially yeah. if you're doing character design. You don't yes. show up like, boy, I sure am wearing sweatpants right now. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, maybe you do and say, I wanted my work to speak for itself. Uh, That's two artists. Uh, (laughs) That's like art school artists, two artists. Uh, They go on to say the new races presented a challenge because they wanted to make them look very different from what they currently had in game. So what's the point of making a new race if it's something you already have? Uh, They wanted beast-like qualities uh, and that those were a challenge. I think we've we've heard that from the team before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They tested on a variety of models to make gear work, and uh, when creating the Viera, they tried to convey personalities through the different facial features. Those, (laughs) that's not a personality. The four uh, (laughs) facial feature personalities are wild, childlike, beast-like, and Fran. (laughs) Fran is just one of them. We just Uh, wanted one of them to look like Fran, because that's what people were expecting. And then the other three. (laughs) I guess Fran would be stoic? Yeah, kind of cool, could crush mm-hmm. you. Um, you love her, but you also Badass. fear her. Badass. Um, yeah. Fran's one of so my favorite characters wild, in Final Fantasy. Wild, childlike, yeah. beast-like, and badass. Badass. Yeah, there you go. All right. 
Yeah. This was so neat, too, because if you watch this portion of the documentary, they actually show some of what I imagine are their modeling kind of environments, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So where you just have like a field and then they just have populated it with different character models. And yeah. um, especially when talking about the qualities of beast-like races versus what we already had in game. There is a lot of, I, I know when like they were bringing Hrothgar out, a lot of people were saying, oh, they just took the Rugadan guy bodies and put them on. But when you actually see them standing next to each other in this mm-hmm. environment, and you can see the designers, you know, trying to, the modelers trying to get like the gear to work, the actual like posture of the different mm-hmm. races and things, you can see the way, yeah, their yeah. bodies have these different contours to them. So um, it had to have been a ton of work. I mean, I think everybody knew that, but yeah, it really it, illustrates. They've it. told us a lot that it's a ton of work, and that's why we uh, only get limited releases of yeah. new characters. It's yeah. hard to really, you know, like explain that because a lot of people would be like, "Oh, well, I remember there was a game that came out that had a male main character, and it's just like Assassin's Creed, and they're like, ah, you know, making making women characters is just too hard and." There was a lot of sl- uh, stuff about that, and they should have gotten a lot of that. But it <laughs> is hard. It. <laughs> oh, they definitely do. It's a new rig, yeah. But hey, you should do it. And that's what they did with uh, the Viera and the Rothgar. They were like, you know what? We want them to be visibly different, so we got to do it. Mm-hmm. And it sucks because it's going to make everything <laughs> harder. But hey, we want to do it. Yeah. Even uh, shame on them because. Not not yeah. on the SC team, on the other team. Because yes. even even when you're you're trying when you when you're an artist, if there's something that you're not good at, you do it so that you can be good at it. Yeah, I mean, you know, time, money, whatever. Who 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 cares what what happens here though? In fourteen, is that they do, and it's awesome. I I don't I don't even understand how they did it, but okay. Yeah, and when you compare, I mean, with fourteen versus something like the Assassin's yeah. Creed debacle, right? When you compare the fact that there are so many different CC options, there's so many different customization options, there's so many different individual unique uh, pieces of gear. There are races that are very small and very big, as opposed (laughs) to just, as opposed to two humans (laughs) that just are of different genders, you know? That's it. It is a much wider spectrum. And... Honestly, I mean, I'm glad that they did push the envelope and try to do something different with those mm-hmm. races that they introduced. Obviously, we've talked in previous episodes about kind of hoping that maybe we get the opposite yes. genders at some point, you know? Yeah. Um, but still, even so, it is really great to have this these differences. And with the documentary, it really showcases them as you get to see them sort of work on putting together these, you know, making it work for all the gear and things in game for these races. I think... They they had this is a little bit off topic, but they they had to have been surprised by the amount of people just upset by the lack of the opposite gender. Um, but we have had that situation before. Yeah. Only only dude Rogadin, only girl Makote. What did mm-hmm. we get later? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. A, you know it's a it, lot of work as we said, and they wanted to do it in chunks if at all so and maybe they thought that it would help the popularity of the two if they release them wink wonk because if they release like well that idea is probably wrong if they release them as a set 
then maybe one would be less popular than the other. I think Fiera would be more popular. I'm just going to put <laughs> yeah. it out there. But they probable. also they also uh, had places for both of those races in the new world. So mm-hmm. rather than waiting and being like, you get this one, but you can't have this one. And so they have to listen to people go, we want this one. Maybe yeah. they, they switched him up. We're still getting We Want This One, though. I, 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 yeah, it's <laughs> it's hard. I mean, there, there are so many demands and trying to schedule it all with the people that you have. Like, these people uh, in these videos are the people that are doing it. There's only so many hours that they have. And we've been we've been listing off their their uh, list of things that are required. Responsibilities, yeah. Yes, responsibilities, that's the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're quite long in comparison to the other videos. Yeah. I do yeah. these 20 specific things, whereas, like, I'm in charge of the art. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, there's complexities in every field. But I I was a little... I mean, I, I guess I was just a little bit surprised that it seems like a lot of the designers in this video are working on basically everything pertaining to any gear whatsoever, any design implementation for that (laughs) in the game. Mm -hmm. I always in my mind was going, oh, they probably have a different team that does like the major NPCs and the designs and all that kind of stuff. And then they have, you know, people who are working on our in-game gear that we can get. But knowing that like all of like all of this, the hairstyles, everything falls underneath these these people. That is a massive amount of stuff to do. Yeah. So now I definitely feel a little bit more like, okay, you reuse this skin. It's yeah. all right. Mm-hmm. Just give me something good next batch. Yeah. But, you know, like, when you have time. Essie, um, well, not Essie, but this for, the 14 team has uh, notoriously been smaller than a normal dev team from the beginning anyway. And for whatever reason, I don't believe that it's grown. So I don't know Yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I mean, I'm sure they've expanded. It It is yeah. just, it makes sense, at least aesthetically. If you're trying to make your entire world cohesive and mm-hmm. you're trying to make everything have a, a feel that is iconically, you know, this is 14. This is, even if we are doing crossover events and we have silly gear and we have silly stuff, you know, um, it makes sense to have these people in charge who are working on a large scale to realize this across the entire game itself. Um, but that is a Less lot of responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of responsibility. And I mean, yeah, I'm still hopeful that maybe we'll get those opposite genders, but it, it is yeah. interesting to hear them talk about all of what went into particularly the new races and new gear for Shadowbringers. So uh, Namai-san uh, tells us uh, priorities when designing characters. Uh, they want them to be recognizable and distinct. Uh, for example, with Reen, they wanted her to be childlike, but also a rogue, which... I'm not sure that they pulled that off, aside yeah, from the I'm fact sure. that she has two knives, you know? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so they tried to make her cute, childlike, but also make her clothes uh, non-restrictive for movement and combat. I guess maybe they well, pulled they that off. Well, they definitely did that. Maybe. Yeah, I, I can see it. It's, I, and then you get, like, the white dress, which kind of feels indicative to me of, you know, she is, you know, this embodiment of light in some mm-hmm. way, and yeah. Heidelin's voice. And, I uh, yeah. I guess they I had to find a balance. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly. Uh, but I mean, they had to find a balance, right, between Oracle of Light and also yeah. I stab things. Yeah. yeah. For they didn't yeah. make her 
as frilly as they could have. That's true. With, like, giant leg warmers, you know, like the the stereotypical JRPG cleric woman. They did not do. It's true. They got close. <laughs> I, do, I do agree in that I feel like some of the rogue element is a little lost. Yes. Same. But the, I mean, the idea of innocence and, yes, being the oracle of light yeah. and having this appearance, and I think she's very iconic, but she mm-hmm. also has a little bit of a callback to Minfilia and some of yeah. her feel and design which is like, necessary I, yeah mm-hmm. i can see all of that so um i think they could have maybe gone a little bit further or when she has her like turning point give her a yes. new outfit which we might see yeah. for future stuff That's we true. don't know but um let's just all assume that she's got a little pair of shorts on underneath her dress so that'll help with the rogue <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> pockets. yes pockets her <laughs> pocket pockets in that dress <laughs> yes uh, so uh, for Uriange, we were told ahead of time that the astrologian artifact gear would be based off Uriange's outfit in Shadowbringers. I thought it was the opposite. So, Me too. Yeah. So they actually designed that outfit for Uriange, and yes. what we end up with is just a copy of his outfit. Yes. We are the copycats. Yep. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I mean, well, Uriange is fashion forward, you know. Uh, I mean, because it's, it's not that different from the previous astrologian outfit right yeah i know the astrologian set is probably the one i was most unimpressed with with Shadowbringers, mm-hmm. just because it really it really does look the same except you got like right. a big old gold choker and no sleeves mm-hmm. you know but i was surprised by that too i thought it was the reverse i thought yeah. that they just put him in a model that they had already made for the artifact gear right but it was vice versa. Um, they were given that design ahead of time, apparently. And then, well, they were told that. And then they designed mm-hmm. around it. And then the astrologians also got the same outfit for their for their artifact. So if you were thinking that uh, Uriange's outfit is kind of feminine, you're correct. It was mm-hmm. designed that way on purpose, she says. Uh, yeah, they... she said that astrologian has a feminine quality. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's a dress I mean, yeah. with stars yeah. on it. Some, some yeah. jewelry. That's... <laughs> That's stereotypically feminine, I guess. Dudes yeah. can dudes can wear jewelry too. <laughs> yeah, we're good and, dress and, too. And dresses too. Some robes, it's fantasy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, they tried to design the set to be gender neutral. Yeah, like what we were just saying. <laughs> yeah. So it would look good on player characters of any gender. <laughs> yeah, that was. She she goes into more detail on it in the video, right? Where she kind of is talking about like, you know, well, we tried to give it these qualities that if like, you know, knowing that it was going to be going on the the player characters that, you know, if it's on a feminine character or female character, it will still look good. But that if it's on a male character, they won't feel like they look basically dumb is what she said. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe that maybe it helps that it was basically Orianje's outfit, too, because it started on a dude, right? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He it, makes it work. He makes it work. He does. Yeah, it was that. I I'm curious. The astrologian design is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And it it is. It does look really similar to the past ones. And I can absolutely see this sort of idea of astrologian being feminine. But I do think that it was a little surprising for me to even realize that maybe they categorize certain classes as having some kind of gender component to them. Yeah. Where, which I had not necessarily expected. I was like, just make the gear for whoever. I don't, what? 
<laughs> like, what? They have to, to an yeah. extent, right? Because some of them actually have physically different pieces for mm-hmm. males and females. Yeah, yeah. It might be a relic of, like, older school of Final Fantasies. Not quite, like, the job system ones, but the ones where you were set. And it was like, well, a dragoon. A dragoon is Kane, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or Kain, you know? Paladin, male, because... Cecil, you know, like maybe that's part of it, but yeah, Final Fantasy has the job system. Everybody could be everything. Like, it, I don't know why you would think is one as one or the other, other than the iconic, you know, and the fact that it's a dress. Well, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Mean, shrug. We shrug. mages wear robes all the time. Yeah, shrug. Yeah, shrug. Yeah. Uh, for Yashola, they were told ahead of time that she would be featured in the trailer. So I guess that they knew they needed to start on her first <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and told that her uh, class would change they wanted her to leave a dramatic impression i think she did i yep. think everybody loves that outfit if uh-huh. it's so good it's also the first one in the freaking mog station so that yep. means something uh they wanted to put ley lines on the soles of her shoes as she's a powerful caster I do love that, that detail. I are they on there? They, they are on there. And That's it goes great. on. Like, she went on to say that she, um, she's like, you probably won't see it in any of the cutscenes, but if you, if there's some way that the gear comes into the game, then, mm-hmm. you know, then maybe you'll see it. But I didn't even know that. The bottom, there's, like, she shows some of the concept art, and the soles of the shoes in that set have part of the ley line pattern on them so crazy. with the idea being that that would be something that maybe she did to like enhance her natural magical power mm-hmm. guys just on the fly they they design parts of the costumes we don't see yeah what <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, i love that and That's now a cool we'll learn that somewhere on you know uyanje's uh astro what are they called astro globe back or are they oh, called yeah yeah astro sometimes globe? the globe yeah but so somewhere on it there's just there's in, like in two script. different names for the two like one's a globe and yeah. one's something else i forget but like there's just a little inscription of yolo or something yeah. you know like hashtag you more life or something uh, <laughs> back to hashtag you more life goodness i wanted to bring it up anyway. <laughs> now i want to go and ugh, i'm gonna be really disappointed yeah. if i go and i look at all these these relics and whatnot and they don't have anything special on them Right. <laughs> there was like, nothing said about any sets beyond this one. Yes. yes. So I, I don't know. I mean, all the gear does have nice little details on it, though. I mean, there there really are some little yes. tiny things that are worked into a lot of the sets. Um, and it was, I think, especially neat just to hear about this one in particular. Mm-hmm. Like, you can go into G-Pose right now if you have that set from the Mog Station and just check the bottoms of your shoes. And you, you know that that's there now, which... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which you just wouldn't even think about but the fact that the gear lives in so many ways just beyond being a cosmetic item in the game is is not all gear but most a lot of gear um is really wonderful to hear because even if a gear set isn't something that you love like cosmetically mm-hmm. knowing that there still is a place even in the lore of the world for it is really is really neat yeah for sure so uh, then we have Yamazaki-san describing their priorities when designing characters. Um, NPC sets aren't designed with character uh, or with player character glamour in mind. So yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> like, 
What if I really like something that an NPC is wearing and I hope to have it on me one day? Wouldn't it just be better for you to design it for me to wear so you could just go pop pop? Yeah, maybe. It's probably faster, right? Yeah. I would guess it's just speed. Yeah. So I wonder, they're probably not talking about like everyday Joe that you run up to and like weed their yeah. garden, right? They're talking about yeah. like Amaric and, and Yashola. And these are the like iconic characters. Yeah. yeah. And it's designed, you know, like designed, maybe not implemented that way, but definitely designed saying, but it's this person, not <laughs> something that you can wear to. Maybe that's what they really mean. I don't know. Yeah. They, uh, yeah. they apparently do that to avoid uh, getting repetitive, which I do appreciate. Mm. Makes everybody stand out just a little bit more by themselves, which I 100% think is true of all of the characters except Alize oh, yes. and uh, Alphano, which is okay because they're twins. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, uh, even they have like their unique hairstyles, right? Yeah. Their little ha- like head clasps, little hair clasps that they have. Yeah. Um, and I think it goes back to what we were hearing a little bit about designing NPCs like earlier, even in the documentary, the idea that they need to be recognizable mm-hmm. and almost thematic in a way because they serve a role in the story beyond just, you know, this is some random guy who picks mm-hmm. flowers every day in the Crystarium. You know, like this is a character. Like this is an iconic They are your party character. members. Keep yeah. an eye out for this guy. <laughs> <laughs> So when they are uh, asked to design a character, they're provided with the minimum modeling requirements and then basically told, go on, you have fun, buddy. At least for this one, this time around. I remember them uh, telling uh, Namai that, well, I don't, I don't remember which interview that was in, but I remember, I think it was at FanFest. Mm-hmm. We were watching something where, where uh, they were telling us about uh, her designs for Black Mage. And how they basically were just like, do what you want to do. And she was like, heck yeah! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, then uh, once they, they get those designs, uh, they try and recreate them into 2D as faithfully as possible. And I think we see that in a lot of cases, too. There, Every yeah. now and then I'll see a piece of that flat 2D art that Yoshi P holds up to the camera for us. And then when we see the 3D model, I'm like, where's that necklace at? Yeah, where did that go? This looks this looked fluffier before. Where's that <laughs> ruffle? But, you know, it's ruffles, yeah. I'm sure, are a pain in the butt. So <laughs> I forgive it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, like I was talking about uh, Namai and her artifact gear designs. This is the next part of the video. Uh, for Black Mage, she wanted to design something mature. Harry Potter, but grown up, which makes me laugh. Yeah. Yeah. exact words. It's so good. Harry Potter, but grown up. Uh, there uh, was some diversity created between the male and female sets uh, with a long hem for the male characters and then a short hem for the female characters. So that, you know, the, the dudes who didn't want to be wearing a little, little not, not mini skirt. What's that length? I don't know. I don't know. It's like a knee length, knee length skirt. Look like a little Lolita. They did probably they they assumed the dudes wouldn't want to look like a little Lolita, (laughs) so they gave them a a a more quote unquote masculine robe. Yeah. Meanwhile, I love that little Lolita dress. (laughs) Yeah, the Black Mage set is probably one of my favorites Mm -hmm. from Shadowbringers because it looks different than like all Mm -hmm. the other Black Mage sets. 
Um, it does have some fun little, you know, differentiation. It has a really strong kind of personality to it. Right. You can at least see Harry Potter, but grown up, especially from men's rope. It looks like something you could maybe see in the films as one of the designs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, like one it, of I was actually... Like, I was actually thinking, I don't see that so much from the dress, but no, when you mentioned the robe, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I will begrudgingly say that Black Mage is awesome. The design is great. <laughs> You're like, as what about me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as a summoner who's like, uh, eh, on most of the designs for the my, artifact here. My personal other favorite is Red Mage, which is the next one they talk yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the silhouette was a big focus of this design. They wanted a cape, a jacket, and a wide hem in the back, like on Stormland. So like an mm-hmm. almost bustle thing going on there. Uh, it was an A-line silhouette that they went with. Uh, and it tends to work best with the game specifications. So that's interesting. In that case, not only was she designing for style, but to make it easier on the people who had to actually yeah. make the design. Yeah, she talks. She actually talks a little bit about this almost being like something she wanted to subvert with Red Mage in mm-hmm. this particular portion um, of the game because I didn't even think about this. But when you think back on all the gear sets in game, there are a lot of them that have that A line, right? Like yeah. with the dresses and things. Um, and I guess that yeah, with the game specifications and models, that's easier for them to rig. Mm-hmm. So like even with like the Stormblood look, the cape, the jacket, the sort of wide hem in the back, it kind of tucks in and then flares out. Um, whereas with Shadowbringers, she wanted to like tilt that and mm-hmm. do something different with it. Make them try and figure out how to do a different uh, silhouette, which mm-hmm. I appreciate because I do not like wearing A-line dresses all the time, especially <laughs> with that freaking high princess waist. Hate it. <laughs> Hate it. Put it, yeah. lower those hems or lower those waistlines, please. It's bad. It's, it's bad. bad. It is bad. <laughs> but Red Mage has such a good, like, it's part of why yeah. I agree with you, Zen. I love the Red Mage sets because it does just have this really iconic shape to it. Mm-hmm. And I love, I mean, the when we got Red Mage introduced and then I got to see what gear there was. And then you can even see, like, the upgrades of the gear and the sets and things. Yeah. Um, oh, man, those boots, that, like, the bustle, the, like, tucked so waist. It's all so good and all the little details and, you know, um, lace accents and it feels like such a magical duelist. It's so perfect Mm -hmm. in that regard. I have had the same uh, glamour for my Red Mage since I got it to 70 last, was it 60 or 70 when it got that one? It was 70, right? 70, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I've had the same glamour for my Red Mage since it it could wear final end game gear uh, last expansion. And this jacket, this jacket mm-hmm. made me change th- that glamour that I loved so oh, much. Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. It's a, that's a good jacket. With your little <laughs> so side cape thing with Bob and your skirty skirt that's at the right level and your little floofy floofs on your butt. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's I feel jacket. as though they have to hit Red Mage just right because so much of the casting gear is counter to its normal aesthetic. That they're like, okay, Red Mage AF has to be great. You have to use all these pieces and other glamours as well, because it's like you don't get that duelist from most of the gear. Yeah. So yeah, and they I mean not to mention that hat. It both times. The feather. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point because even though it's it's so weird, even though it's grouped in with casters, mm-hmm. it does not share 
the thematic look robes. of most of the other casters in the game. Yeah. The robes. The I remember like when I was first leveling Red Mage and I was wearing, I don't know, some of the, the robes from some portion of the game. I was just sitting there like, I could not do a backflip in those. What? Yeah. <laughs> I, I could not lunge forward and, you know, drive my sword into this enemy, you know? <laughs> um, so I think it is a good point that having the artifact gear that is so recognizable for it kind of helps balance some of the bulk of other gear in the game that red mages are going to have to be dealing with that just does not really fit the overall right. aesthetic. I feel like Dancer falls into that same category where you end yeah. up with a bunch of kind of rangery yeah. looking jackets which mm -hmm. it's kind of borderline for Bard, but for Dancer, it's like, no, no. What is this crap? What is yeah, this Yeah, we're crap? lucky that there's a lot of other supplemental, like non-class specific gear in yes. game that works for Dancers. And there's some that works for Red Mages. Yeah. But it is, again, not, it's not perfect for either of them. Mm -mm. You have to kind of scrounge to figure out exactly how you're going to make it all I'm just waiting together. for the, uh, like, and game gear, either crafted or Eden or Tome, that is specifically made for dancer. And then to have like machinists be like, I don't want to wear this. Be like, <laughs> you deal with it. I've dealt with it for two years now. <laughs> or in the future, they could take Red Mage and dancer and put them in the new category and then give them gear that makes sense for either one of them. Mm -hmm. That isn't robes or rangery things, and then give us a caster and a range. Oh, but then they'd have to design an extra thing. I don't want to put that on. I know exactly. I'm just saying. I like support jobs. I want more than one of them. True. Or or we could remove all class restrictions on gear. Okay, that would artifact gear, and then everybody, because there are some weird gray areas already in the game, then everybody mm -hmm. could just pick and choose whatever they wanted to There's put on their There's no point to them anymore. They used to be like, oh, PvP, you need to be able to tell what you're fighting. It's above their head. It is above yeah. their head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and somebody could literally be in a rabbit suit board yeah. of nightmares. Exactly! Yeah. <laughs> no excuse. Whole PvP teams, <laughs> rabbit suits, please do. And, and I don't, I don't know how it's coded. I don't know how difficult it would be to recode mm -hmm. everything, everything, because there's yeah. a lot of gear. It could be as easy as flicking off the switch that says only such and such job class can wear this, you know. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, Yoshi P, what is the holdup? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I will put the soapbox away. I feel like this was a mutual three-person soapbox right now. I it mean, was. Yes. It was. We all got on there. It was a big soapbox. <laughs> Uh, the last one that she talked about was White Mage and wanting to make it more mature. Uh, there were three different variations um, on, of the designs drafted, and members of the dev team who play White Mage voted on them. Which one did so you awesome. like best? I don't remember all of them. Like, what were the differences? Uh, there, was, there was no picture? There, They did. So in the video, yeah. they have pictures. One of them, they kind of scan the table as opposed to, like, showing yes, each three distinctively. So, like, one of them looks a little bit more like the base game White Mage, where it's um, a little bit closer to that. <laughs> it looks like felt to me, like the felt yeah. row, you <laughs> yeah. know, that's, like, knee length and has the, like, traditional sort of red and white, except that in this version, there were, like, big belts on the middle, like leather belts. And then there's the yeah. one that we got that is longer. Um, and then there's one that even pushed that a little bit further, and kind of looked like, oh, what's his name? 
Uh, Lee Pace plays him in The Hobbit. It's not Thrandoil. El- mm. Oh, I don't know. Dramatic at- elf man with antlers that kind of, you know, oh, like, okay. Elrond. like crown. Elrond. It's not Elrond. No, in the other one. This the is Hobbit. in The Hobbit. Maybe it yeah. is Thrandoil. Maybe I'm crazy. Somebody in chat will probably know here in the live stream. <laughs> but, yeah, I love that. <laughs> like, so there is an iteration of it that also kind of looked like that, where it was like a really long robe. And then there was some kind of headpiece that seemed like it went around the back and yeah. then had these sort of like backwards facing, I don't know if they were wings or, or what it was, um, which, not going to lie, love that one. <laughs> wish, wish that one That's had been the one in there. That's one I like the most. Yeah. <laughs> I don't so know. It says like, it is Thrandwheel. Okay. Good, good, good. Yeah. Thanks, Edward. I, I love that one, especially with the concept um, of the male one. Because, yeah, it does look like him. And it just looks like the you know, priestly fantasy, you know, I, I really liked it. Um, you know, I like the one that we have in game as well, but that one's just more regal in some way. Yeah, regal is a good way to put it. It looks very, very much like a regal priest mm-hmm. or like elven king. Like it, right. it has like these very in a ceremony. Lines. In a ceremony. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've had, I mean, I've liked, I, I've liked for different reasons all of the White Mage Relic along the Mm -hmm. the way but it's all had sort of the same style behind it i think stormblood actually shook that up yeah with the like like, thing yeah with your kind of like ribbony scarfy Mm -hmm. knobbled butterfly stick i hate that one (laughs) (laughs) but i know certain people who love it oh and you've got like the dish that could get you satellite tv on the back of your head um, some people look really good in it and really love it. I was playing a Highlander at the time, and I was like, this looks like a children's party you threw up on me. <laughs> right. And I hated it. I, uh, I made a, a Red Queen glamour out of that. Just dyed the whole yeah. thing red, because it has the big dish thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, though, really... like, it, we, we have had the sort of uh, con- continuation of white robe red triangles up until that point where they made it a little bit more queenly and then like, i mm-hmm. actually feel like the one that they picked the one they're calling the mature one shoved it back towards the yeah. regular robes again i don't mm-hmm. dislike the way it looked but again i i agree like the the more elegant f- swept back stuff would have been new i guess i wonder more exciting yeah. and this I would is love- tin hat okay oh go yeah. no go you no tin hat away so yeah. if we're going to Garland Mole, if we are, and there's a war on, mm-hmm. wouldn't all the artifact, shouldn't it look warlike? Shouldn't we get a battle cleric instead of a rogue look? Wouldn't that be really cool if all of them shared this like real battle, you know, Next like time. battle aesthetic? Next you can maybe. literally only dream. Because I, <laughs> in theory- I want a battle cleric. I know, I know, me too, me too. <laughs> but I mean, it is weird because sometimes it seems like they use the X pack to theme the artifact mm-hmm. gear, and other times it seems like it has no bearing. Yeah, like exactly. the Heaven Sword set looks like Heaven Sword, yeah. and I love it. You look like you are, a, I mean, I don't know, a very beautiful nun. Like yeah. you've got, you know, the whole. It, it's like very fancy nun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, yes, I, I guess to some degree, Stormblood kind of looks a little bit Alamite. You're, you're being uh, nice. You're being yeah. nice. 
Yeah, it's not really Eastern know. and it's not really Alamegan. It's uh, yeah, like uh, man, they could have given us. Oh my God, what if we had gotten like a white mage kimono that uh, was just like it had like draping, like the back was like, or like a, a shrine maiden, butterfly, or like a shrine maiden. Oh, yeah. it would have been so good with and the like, staff with like the little uh, like cranes or something. I mean, it would be great. My guess is that they chose not to do that because we already had, like, preemptively yes. from the end of Heaven Sword, the Domen sets that yeah. had kind of been a thing. But so, that would have been so yeah. good. Um, and so, yeah, like, Stormblood, I feel like I don't really know what its identity is. Uh, it, it, uh, it's Let's do well. something different. <laughs> yeah. I would love a battle set or something that really felt distinctive to that portion of the mm. game. Or the journey you took in that class right. in some way, you know? But then it's like the conceit is it has to make sense in the story. So it's like, well, how do you make this feel like the first when there yeah. weren't white mages on the first or something, you know? Plus, this is a weird little thing. This is a weird little thing. But the headpiece does not show up on my Viera. <laughs> yep. And I just have to like, here's the deal for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I get it. We can't do all the old gear. I get it. I get it. I get it. We said it before. But if it is literally the artifact set that we are presumably going to be upgrading through some of these grinds, I, f I personally yeah. feel strongly that every piece of that should show up on you. Like, no matter mm -hmm. what they do, even if they had just, like, modified it so that, like, you don't actually have the veil part on White Mage, but you just have, like, some little chains or something, like, that kind of accent the veil. But it's it's bonkers to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually insane to me that you, you can't wear yeah. all of the iconic special collection gear for your class or for yeah. your race. Like, I don't know. I'm sorry, buddy. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's not it's, good. I'm never gonna get over it, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, they're still they're working on it behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, maybe you know next expansion behind the scenes they'll be like, well, everyone asked for this, and this is how we did it. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we see that video, <clears throat> they definitely go back and and update things all of the time. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Right. Just now, um, I'm thinking of them implementing uh, Stormblood weapons and putting dancer yeah. and and mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. gun gunbreaker i always want to say gunblader gunbladeer gunbladeer yes yes i heard you need some help uh i'm a gunblader <laughs> <laughs> i'll take care of your problem <laughs> more or less edgy than witcher i think more more <laughs> edgy than <laughs> i am a gunbladeer i am yeah. a gunblader more, especially with the voice, for sure. Yes. So, I'll shoot it uh, and stab it. It's going to be a real dead after. Yeah. Oh my god. So looping back around. Um, right. Of the videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah to, yeah. to White yeah. Mage. Um, apparently Yoshi P uh, wait, uh, weighed in eventually and also voted for the mature design. So we can blame him for, yeah. uh, for us not having nifty swept back hair ornamental tiara. Mm-hmm. Just think how good it would have been if, like, we had the Tiara Thronduil version. It could have been, like, a, an Ilmeg fairy queen kind mm -hmm. of deal. Oh. King queen. Mm, yeah. Okay. What could have been? We won't cry oh. over it. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, and then they talk about gear limitations. Uh, Yamazaki hops back in here to, to tell us the deal. 
uh, modeling cloaks and capes is a big challenge, as we mm-hmm. might have guessed, since we don't have that many. Uh, they're they're getting more over time as they figure out how yeah. to how to use them bones. Uh, initially, they said that they wouldn't be in game at all, but they are they they have arrived. <laughs> Yes. Even though the modeling team said, we can't do this, Namaya-san came up with a way to try and depict a cape and cape. Uh, this created an opening for the modeling team to fudge it uh, further and simulate cape-like models in-game. Yamazaki-san worked on making it a reality. So thanks, Yamazaki-san. I have a bunch of friends who are really happy with you right now. Yep. <laughs> they basically took the skeletal rigging of flowing him from, from skirt and... Uh, Put it on off your shoulders on the end of the stuff hanging off your back. Uh, so that mm-hmm. kind of seems a little stiffer up around the shoulders, but hey, it's still floppy at the bottom. It's still cool. Yeah. Uh, and then they show it on Scholar Artifact Gear and the Red Maid cape, Red Mage Capelet. Nobody wants to do capes. Nobody wants to do it. Like claw them. Nobody wants to do that. That is not going to happen in an MMO very often. I mean, it will. It's just going to be weird. <laughs> Weird and floppy. I'm yeah. Yeah. I'm not displeased with, with how it works now. It is, oh, yeah. It's kind of stiff, it but whatever. At least it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like, all things considered, right? Like, most of the ways that you're going to be documenting or, you know, you want that aesthetic, that look, mm-hmm. right? It's probably going to be, like, if you're G-posing or you're taking pictures. And the flow is still there with your animations, that, like, little bit of movement with the mm-hmm. hem and stuff. Like, it definitely... It still gets the point across, but I mean, I've never noticed it looking really awkward in pictures. You know, like it looks cool. It looks uh, cool. Yeah, I think that they were more afraid of like they could do it, but they were afraid that it would just look weird or it would cause you know mm. too much strain. Because yeah, because that thing could flip upside down, inside out. Like it could be flowing in the wind crazily. Like yeah, yeah. So. I think that's it. They get to their closing statements. Uh, Zaki mm-hmm. tells us uh, that their goal is to bring the players what <laughs> they feel that will enjoy. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, yeah, that's good. Thanks. That's a good, that's a good <laughs> Thank goal. <you. laughs> and he hopes that we'll uh, take note of all the little details they put in. And if we don't, then Namai-san will tell us about the bottoms of the shoes. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Freaking love it. Uh, she says that our team is always striving through trial and error. And she hopes that the items that they add to the game bring us enjoyment. They do. She also hopes yes. that we have fun with the designs and are surprised at times. Absolutely. Today, I was surprised. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, Out of all of the different videos, I think this one was actually the one that I was surprised to enjoy the most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really liked hearing them talk about it. And it made me sort of reimagine, or, or I guess, take another look at a lot of the gear that we have right. in game and now i kind of want to go in and just be like okay i'm gonna like zoom around yes. and i'm gonna see yeah. like, it'd be nice if you could like physically these. like right but <laughs> I know. yeah no such luck i uh i knew that if there was one about modeling animation or something like that i had to watch it just because oh. being in the industry that i am and i knew that uh, i love these behind the scene things because mm. it's just it it shows people what actually is involved there's a lot of people not that many on 14, they need more. But <laughs> there's a lot of people, there's a lot of stuff going on. And like even one little request spirals out to hours and hours for everyone. 
So it, it's just cool to see how they have it set up. And steal their ideas. <laughs> sure. Definitely. Like, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> Anybody have anything else they want to add from these three videos? I don't think so. I don't yeah. think so. I mean, it it's just great to see behind the scenes on all of this. I, a game that you love, it becomes that from so many different people and sources and knowledge bases and um, collaboration. I mean, I think the point yeah. that was brought up earlier by both of you about the collaboration and inspiration that almost spirals, right? Like we were talking about the Bismarck Island, mm -hmm. but you can see how all of these teams really do influence each other and then work off of that to try and create uh, new and, and bigger and better and interesting things for us, which is, I mean, what it's all about. And it's amazing to see their hard work and to say thank you, like thank you to them for yeah. all of this. Yeah. I, uh, I kind of appreciate the, the format of these videos instead of them mm -hmm. waiting and releasing it as one big like two hour chunk or whatever yeah. <laughs> they were we're getting little 10 minute segments uh well stuff that's relevant and interesting and it's very Definitely more it's very consumable yeah oh, no, exactly no. Mm -hmm. and uh i mean we're going to talk about the rest of them but i think this week's was sound so that's the one that i was most looking forward to yeah <laughs> oh, i wonder yes. why oh boy I want to see Soken in his mad laboratory. <laughs> That's gonna be a good one. Yeah. So yes, uh, those are this this episode was only the first three, um, and we will be tackling the others um, either next time or the time after that. We may have a surprise for you guys um, next time. That mm. is not these videos. We may not. We're not sure. But uh, either way, you can expect us to uh, do a little discussion of the remaining videos in the near future. Uh, thanks for hanging out. If you want to, you can email us at aetherightradio at gamerscape.com. Tweet at us at aetherightradio. And find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Discord at Gamerscape. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. See you next week.